You're listening to Earnestly Speaking, the only weekly podcast that covers friends, foes, and anything that goes. And now, for your badass host, Ernest Owens. And we're back with another episode of Earnestly Speaking with your host, Ernest Owens, myself. So hey everyone, it's been quite a week and a lot is going on over here, as you know. Uh, if you've been following my social media, it's been a bunch of great news um, and just good stuff happening this week. So I'm, I'm really um, cheery, I guess that's the word to say. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, 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 stuff is coming along. I'll just say that much. Um, writing this book has been phenomenal. Um, have been doing my interviews and, you know, because, you know, since... The big announcement last month, you know, I have been just getting right to it um, because you know I have some deadlines and some things, and I, I'm 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 doing good. But I mean, I don't know what else I can say. But we're almost done, almost done. It, it's just crazy because people understand, you know, if a book has to come out in the fall of 2022, you got to start like getting the draft done, like. A year before because it goes through revisions and all that other stuff so it's going good it's 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 awesome i've been talking to some incredible people you all are not going to be ready to know who's in this book and what's being talked about in the book because everyone's like speculating and they think they know and i'm like you have no idea you know I, I i i just can't wait um and i can't wait to be able to give out uh you know, galleys to, to folks who was a part of this and, and, you know, get some, some good critics and, and folks to check it out. But I'm just excited about it. I, I've been really engrossed in it this, these past two weeks and um, it's just coming along fabulously. And I, I can't, I can't say anything more yet. Nope, I can't. So that's all I can say, but it's going to be good. And I can't wait to, when that pre-order link drop, one of my um, friends on social media, uh, she has a book that just came out and she was putting out the pre the pre-sale link and i was just like damn i can't wait to go well, i can't wait to have that i can't wait to just just drop that that link and just say there you go pre-order and just see y'all just go on amazon and go crazy and it'd be like ranking on the charts and all the all the minutes like i see it already for myself you know you gotta what do you call it manifest i manifest that i, I manifest when the link drops people just going crazy and just buying the book and it's just it's just number one artist categories on Amazon. And then, you know, we get a New York Times bestseller. So I'm going to manifest. I'm going to say that now on this episode. I'm just going to say it out loud. Why not? I want it to be an instant New York Times bestseller. Goals. But we got to start from we got to start from the beginning, which is the writing. Nothing, nothing happens until the writing happens. And then once the writing happens, everything else kind of follows suit. At least that's how I do it. <laughs> But in other great news, um, so sometimes you all send me um, messages, and I don't. I read. I I don't read everybody's message. Everybody want to give recommendations and tell me things. But there's sometimes where a person gives me something that's really useful. That's not like trying to sell me something or not just doing something that's over, over the top to doing the most. And there there's a great listener who um, <laughs> he. he He's, he's such a cool character. He's such a cool dude. He's like, he bows he his line because it's to the show, but he also um, is, you know, is into cooking. And he gave me, and, I, and I'm not asking for a bunch of people to give me recipes. This was just something very special. 
So uh, a couple episodes ago, I was talking about my my whole marinating steak recipe um, experience and like how it, this is like my procedure and this is what I always do. Well, he had a technique that involved dry brining um, steak, which I've heard about this, but I never really got into it. But he literally step by step kind of gave me this insight on how to do it um, in his own his own spin and, you know, show me pictures and then I, you know, I got to follow along. And that steak that you all saw that I put on Instagram, like I think a week ago, that was based off of the recipe that he had sent me. And it is incredible. Dry brining is very interesting because I'm so used to like wet marinades. But what it was was based on like a combination of like your own seasoning salt and putting it in the fridge. And, 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 and there's a procedure to make sure that it works. But like I have to tell you, it does taste good. Um, it's a different mood. It's a different mood than what I'm used to when I have my, my, my own marinated steak. And I am definitely going to just alternate it because I know what the taste is. Um, one of the things that he got me excited about was this idea of liquid smoke, which is what I, which, well, Mr. Johnson has used liquid smoke when he has cooked certain things. He sometimes ebb and flows to like, uh, vegan eating and things. I know a lot of people like to put liquid smoke on those things to make it whatever the hell it that is the non-meat product that he's eating, but he puts it on there and like makes it have a meaty taste, even though it's not meat. But you know, liquid smoke on actual meat, my goodness. I I, I put it on this like dry rub that I did for this this steak, and I did a really good bone-in ribeye. And he, he had actually told me to put it on there and I added my, my, my little powders and my spices. And y'all, it was amazing. I let it be in the fridge for like a like two days and I would, you know, turn it over and just make sure that the, the salt was doing its thing. It worked. It really worked. It was good. It was a unique taste. I I I can't describe I mean it tastes really, really good, but it had a very I think that, that liquid smoke gave it this like real charcoal taste, but it was a memorable taste. Um, and it was just really good. I was very, very impressed. I said, okay, I gotta, I gotta, okay, I'm gonna make every, I'm gonna mix it up. I still like my marinades I do for my steaks, but this is something different. And it's a, it's a certain distinct taste I will never forget. Dry brining, um, as a way to marinate a steak is effective. Learn something new. So shout out to you for that. It was phenomenal. Definitely a great way to do it. And I'm like going to mix and match now between because, um, I'm just going to mix and match because it's a different type of f flavor and the texture is very different. Um, I do love the crust on it. I think the crust thing with the dry brine is phenomenal. And also what I will say about the dry brine situation too is that you just have to be more ahead of time because it's not like one of those things where you can like, you know, th you have to like give it, you got to be impatient. You got to know that you want steak in like 48 hours or whatever. You got to know that versus when I do my marinades. I like do it for eight hours in the day of and cook it the day of, but you just have to be like a little bit more ahead um, in your in your cooking, your planning. Um, and then the other thing too uh, that was that stood out. Oh, also, I like the fact that it wasn't too messy because like normally I have to use all these other liquids and other stuff. I mean, is this basically your seasons and your salts that you want to use and, and and just making sure you just keep up with scheduling, but. It was a very less frills process, and yet the marinade of just some good, really good, you know, cracked pepper and some really good coarse salt, or uh, coarse sea salt in this case that that I used, uh, can make the difference to the meat. And I've been I've been told this before, but you know, listen, people always say, "Oh, just you know, if you got a really good steak, all you need is salt and pepper." I've heard that, 
And listen, I, I believe it, but I don't believe it for me. But this, 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 you know, I did put my all into this idea around the salt and the, and the pepper this time around. I did add a little bit of, you know, a little bit of onion powder, a little bit of, uh, it was a garlic powder I used, a couple of my own little, little steak seasonings that I added to the mix because that's what, you know, he did the same thing with his rub. But I can't, I just can't just do salt and pepper. I'm not convinced. My lawyer is very much uh, is into that, but he also grills like a caveman. But he he could cook. Let me clarify. My my lawyer can cook. He knows how to serve the law and serve the plate, uh, defend and protect the law. One of the things he knows how to do both and do it very well. But you know, I, I still have a little bias. I gotta I gotta have a little bit of something something. You know what I'm saying? I gotta have a little bit. I just I'm that I'm that person that I am that person that. When you cook with, with garlic, I'm gonna, I'm never gonna, it's never, there's never too much garlic. <laughs> no, really, there's never too much garlic in a recipe. I'm just that black person, like when I cook. And that's the thing. There's people, you, you're probably that person. You know you are. Like they'll say, oh, just, you know, four, four um, gar garlic cloves. It's like four, four. That's not touching. I mean, when I use garlic, I gotta, I want to touch all cylinders, all angles. You know, if you cook in a meat or marinade, so I need, listen, it's never too much garlic. And garlic's good for you, so I digress. <laughs> anyway, um, as far as my wedding updates go, oh my goodness, this is like a major week. Okay, we're we're less than 100 days away. We're like 90 days away. We're about to get close to 90 days. Um, it's getting real, y'all. It's getting real, real. I mean, I you all have been following this journey for the past, what, since, the, since what, it's been, this is a whole six month, for the past, what, six months or something. It's been, well, yeah, it's been a minute. We've been following this. And um, the cool thing is, like, so we got our marriage license. Um, well, we went to City Hall and did all that. Um, that was super cool. It was so funny because when we went there, there was a lot of same gender couples, which I thought was, was interesting. Everybody always saying that gay marriage is going to, you know, cut the sanctity of marriage, says those evangelists. But... Actually, it's interesting because it's like it's more of us wanting to get married than our, than our fellow set folks. I mean, they still want to get married, too, I suppose. But it's, it just seems like we are more into it than they are. Maybe because we've been deprived the right to. So we like appreciate it more, I think. I wonder if there's like research out there that suggests that gay marriage, gay, gay divorces are not as high as cishet divorces. I wonder if there's like research because I, I have a funny. I mean, not to say that, that we're not in the community getting divorced because I know a couple who are, but I'm just. I don't know. I think we're at a higher end. Appreciate the, the the state of marriage, at least maybe because it's been it's something we've always wanted. We, we've seen so much about it. We've learned it. Like I've really have taken time to think about marriage. I must say, I have studied for this. Not that I'm a a a, a, um, a, a pick me type that's just out here. My whole life, I'm just trying to be somebody's husband. No, but I have definitely read a lot. Um, a good friend of mine, Erin, actually, who's going to be at my wedding shower this weekend. She's um, let me read a book. She gave me a book. It's called Love's Promises, How Formal and Informal Contracts Shape All Kinds of Families. It's by a woman named um, Martha M. Um, Ereton, Ereton, but it's called Love's Promises. Um, it's, a, it's a really good book about uh, formal contracts, informal contracts, and it's about you know marriage and all that stuff and about family life and things. It's such a good book. And I've been reading a lot about marriage. And also just in my general stuff about gay marriage because I've been coverage over the years. Um, and I've read a lot about it, meeting like the man who, the plaintiff, the, the landmark plaintiff who 
did marriage equality for us. You know, Jim Ogreville, who I can say um, I'm very cool with, actually. He's he's an incredible man. He's inspired. All this love is love. Hashtags love wins. Hashtags. This is the man who's a plaintiff whose whose situation with his now deceased partner inspired uh, that that landmark Supreme Court ruling that let made marriage equality law of the land in 2015. I interviewed him back then. We're still friends on Facebook and, and, and cool now. And it's so funny and full circle because um, he was celebrated a lot in Philadelphia and uh, Barry and I got to meet him. Um, I, I interviewed him and then he came back because there was the 50th anniversary of the LGBTQ civil rights movement, which started in Philadelphia. It was not Stonewall. The, the revolution, I would say, really started in Stonewall in 1969. But a couple of years before then, it started in Philadelphia in 1964. Um, so it, it, yeah, it was 1964 and, or 65, no, 1965. Yeah. 1965. And I was there and, um, it was, it was a, well, not back in 1965, but I was at the celebration in Philadelphia and, um, Olga Buffett was there and marriage equality had just happened that summer, this summer, it was pride month. It was just a great time. Uh, it was before all the Trump madness. It was a it was a different era. Obama was still president. The White House was still rainbow. I mean, it was still you know Warhawks and all that trash. But we we had a rainbow White House. <laughs> I know it was performative, but it was just a different time or not really different. Depending on who you talk to, all I know is I felt like a lot more optimistic politically um, back then. That's that. I mean, for what it's worth. But I remember that um, that time, and and so to see so to be like you know years later. Um, with the same man now with the ring now planning my wedding and knowing that that was because of so many activists over the years and and so many people like Olga Rafeld who really went to the Supreme Court and, and really, you know, kind of let his life story be the, you know, be the case. I mean, it, it's a sad story, but it's, you know, basically his they were getting married and their, his partner passed away um, from a from an illness and he wasn't allowed to get the benefits even though they had had a, a civil union and they weren't allowed to he wasn't allowed to get on his partner's benefits um and it was a question of you know how does that happen why this person has been with this man for years and he doesn't get to do that because of what? So there was, a, you know, that that was a case that was looked at and, and it changed the way we, I mean, the not we, but the, well, yeah, the society, the country, I guess, looks at marriages and views it that, look, if these two people say they want to be with each other, regardless of their gender, regardless of their sexual orientation, they're, they're entitled to the same rights and privileges. And so I thank Jim Orgerfeld and those who, is making sure that I get to have the same benefits and, and opportunities as my cishet brothers and sisters and siblings, I suppose, because they, 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 you know, they all act like everything is all, you know, good and, and great and there's no problems. Everyone's equal. Well, well, we still don't have equality across the board. I mean, marriage equality is one aspect and it's an important one for me. Um, but, but I think about those who are still transgender and others who still don't have it federal. You know, I keep saying this, I'll say it again, that the Equality Act needs to pass. There needs to be protections for everyone, not just at federal jobs 
Okay, but across the board, it needs to be treated the same way that we have the 1964 Civil Rights Act that protects every other uh, marginalized group except the LGBTQ community. So we need to do that, period, period. Biden's doing all this talking, Mr. President, talking all this, this, that, and the third, okay? Like he can't even get the vote. He Listen, we're losing progress that we made in the 1960s. Like we're losing voting rights right now that was that was given to us over 50 years ago. And we can't even upgrade the civil rights that we've gotten 50 years ago because of I don't know what the fuck the Democrats are doing. And I'm going to get to them in a minute. But I want to I want to I'm going to get to them in a minute. But I want to say that um, I'm excited when I saw the marriage license when we or the certificate, the certificate to get the license. But we got that certificate. Which they stop a little $90 on you. They say it's $90. I'm like, well, that's not bad, $90. This, this is how the city be making money, okay? But um, we got the certificate. It was exciting. Then we went to a lawyer uh, and looked at the lawyer who's the cook. <laughs> he um, looked at the document, gave us information inside about what's next to come. Um, and then we signed papers and did all our thing. And, and then we're, you know, getting ready for this wedding. And all that jazz. So it's exciting. The wedding shower is this weekend. My mom's in town. Um, my mom is in town. I'm super excited about it. Uh, we went out to dinner last night. We went to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which is my favorite restaurant in Philadelphia. Next is a hive and other, and of course, I love Vernon. But listen, I had to take her to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know, it's black owned. Okay. My homie Chad Williams owns Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's a phenomenal cook. It's the, it's like the best single restaurant in Philadelphia. Fine dining galore. I mean, we had the tasting menu. It's like, that's all you should get. Don't get, get the, I think that's all you can get right now is that tasting menu is phenomenal. Okay. Executed well. We had halibut. We had, um, we had halibut. We had a crudo. We had caviar, New York strip steak, um, a barbecue veal cheeks, uh, sweetbreads, we just had a whole bunch of things. I'm just thinking about all the things we ate. It was fabulous. It was fabulous. Oh, and those cocktails. I, I, I was going to say this. I'm going to say it again. I think that Friday, Saturday, Sunday has the best overall cocktail menu in the city. I think there's some other places that have good cocktails. Don't get me wrong. But Friday, Saturday, Sunday has the most cohesive, consistent cocktails. And the best cocktail in Philadelphia that you can get at a restaurant, okay? Because I have some, I'm in some, um, what are those called? Uh, dinner cl- supper clubs. I'm in some supper clubs and social clubs that have really great cocktails too. But the Assassin's Handbook is my favorite cocktail in Philadelphia. If I go to, if you want to take me out for a drink, take me to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and get me the Assassin's Handbook. That is the best cocktail. I mean, it's just, it, listen, it ain't for everybody. We was laughing about that last night because. It has a spice to it. It's a rum drink. It's got a really sweet, tangy taste, but it's got some strong. It's got some strength. It's it's a nice, good little strength to it, and it it plays with you because you drink it and you're like, "Oh, this is sweet and and fruity and tangy." But then there's like a, a like a oh, okay, this is this is a real drink. You know, it's just the perfect. It's like a mellow. My mother likes really like fruity cocktails, and I'm like in between, you know. But I don't like just like so. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, I taste like varies because he's very like he doesn't want no, he doesn't you know a hint of fruit or something is for him, but he like he doesn't do he doesn't do super sweet. He likes a good, real strong, boasty whiskey based, heavy forward type of drink. 
And that's so obvious. Like he's drinking old fashioned. Like he thinks old fashioned is like a moderate drink. He's going for like Manhattans and things like that. Like he's that guy. And I'm so running away from that, right? I'm on the uh, Cosmo <laughs> genitonic. Um, oh, I mean, a genitonic. If I listen, so my so <laughs> sidebar, my choice of drink when I don't know what your bar is serving or I'm at a dive bar, I don't know what you got. I will do a gin and tonic. Like, I just keep it safe. If I don't know what the bar is giving, I don't know what the vibe is, I will just go straight uh, gin and tonic on people. I just, like, okay, just give me a gin and tonic. I'm not even going to play with you all on the drinks. So, he's, he's, he's in, you know, I'm, I'm more of that. Cosmos, uh, ooh, ooh, bees knees. I love a bees knees. Oh, I love a, oh my goodness. If, if if a place is, is going to not ruin it, I love a Moscow Mule. So I'm that guy. I'm on that end of the spectrum. And I like a cucumber martini. I'm just... And I like cute glasses. I like my drinks served up. I don't mind them served other ways if, if it's cute. But I, I don't like a drink with too much ice. Um, because I just feel like, no, I want it served up. I don't want any ice if I can avoid it. Uh, unless you got like one of those really strong drinks, you drop that one ice cube, I'll take a big ass ice cube or a scope or a cube or a spear. But I like a drink served up. I want a nice martini glass. I want a fun, flirty glass. I don't know. I just, that's that's me. And Mr. Johnson is a nice cocktail glass, you know, giving all this top energy. But I, I'm a little bit more versatile in my drinking. <laughs> so... I, uh, she enjoyed herself last night. My mom had a fabulous time and she had a fabulous time reading all of you all's thirsty comments. Not everyone was thirsty, but you know, everyone's like, that's not your mom. That's your sister. Well, if you've been following this podcast, you know, she was born in January of 1971. That is not my sister. But you know, if you, you know, she's, listen, I know people say, don't say this, but black don't crack. It doesn't. No surgery, no, none of that. She doesn't do any of that. She just is, listen, I get, listen, you all ask me about my skin all the time. And honestly, it's, I guess it's a combination of good genetics, right? I suppose genetics do play a role in this. Um, but it's also about maintenance. Like, she's taught me everything I know about skincare. Like, as far as, like, uh, just, you know, keeping up with myself. Like, we are very into vitamins and supplements, um, that are good for you, you know, uh, like I, I, I take fish oil supplements, I sleep, I take my vitamins, um, I drink lots of water, um, I sleep, I sleep, sleep is important, um, and, and you know, I just, you know, I, I think, what else I do? I don't drink coffee, maybe that's what it is, we don't, we don't drink coffee, we don't drink, we're not coffee drinkers, we're not smokers, um, we drink alcohol, of course, um, not really into beer. Not, I don't know if beer plays anything in skin, but we don't. We don't drink coffee. I think that's one thing that I grew up with. She never, she does not drink coffee. And I think that that might be one major factor. She doesn't drink beer. She doesn't smoke. Um, I never grew up smoking either or drinking. Well, clearly. I, I never smoked. I don't drink coffee. Um, what else? And we're very into supplements. Like we take, you know, vitamins and things. I grew up just always knowing to take vitamins and eat, you know, eat good food and uh, eat, you know, and, and, and just eat real food. How about that, right? Um, yeah, and we're just keeping up with the skin, okay? Exfoliating. I learned how to exfoliate very young. Um, I, I was always into keeping my skin exfoliated. Uh, sunscreen. Uh, 
just moisture, keeping the skin moisturized, you know, just taking care of myself on a regular basis. I'm all into maintenance and skincare, and I've been like that for years, so I just always have been that way. And when I met Mr. Johnson, I got him on that too. I was like, listen, okay, clear face, honey. We got to serve a good face. <laughs> but she's just, yeah, she's just this phenomenal. And we just had a good time. We was just talking about my, um, my brother who's coming to Temple next month. He's not coming to the wedding shower. Uh, and my little brother's not either. So they're coming uh, in August because we have to move my brother in. And I'm going to tell that story about this whole movie thing. But I'm going to wait until everything gets settled. Like once he get in. Because I have a Temple story for y'all. And it is not. Well, let me just say this. It's a little. It, it, it's, it's interesting. I don't want to say it's a bad story because the ending works itself out. But it is an interesting story. I do already have a Temple story. But I'm, I'm good. I, I just will say this. I see that I'm going to be that brother on campus, that big brother on campus that's just going to be stopping in and dropping in on my brother. Just I'm not going to be a, a helicopter. I'm not going to be like these crazy. But I'm just like, I, I just already feel like I'm going to have to be the one that's going to have to roll up and pull up uh, every blue moon. But I'm excited for him. And um, we were just, was just talking about that. She, she's coming to Philly like... She's having a whole. She's listen. We're trying. Listen, we're trying to get her here. We're trying to get everybody else is in Philly, except her now, and then my little brother. But you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to convert her in. But I don't know. She she really listen. She was. We were just talking about that yesterday. Which is like the the housing in Texas. She has a really nice five bedroom house. And I was telling y'all about houses and stuff in Texas. For those who know, we live in Katy, but it's right next to Houston. But she don't want to let go of that. Like, I mean, I don't blame her because the house is gorgeous. And like, I, I can't even, I don't know any nice houses that are affordable like that, that you could get. I mean, listen, you, anybody who's into real estate knows that Houston, Texas, just in general, is a gold mine for nice housing and, and neighborhoods. And so it's just, it's, it's yeah, it, it's hard to, it's hard to, to argue with that because I'm staying in a nice little apartment. You know, I'm, it's just me and, and, and Mr. Johnson. But, you know, she wants what she wants. And I feel her on that. So it's, it's, it's interesting. But she's loving more and more um, this place. She's loving, she's loving it. She loves to come. I think she, she's going to come more often. Um, she's going to come more often. Especially now that both me and my brother are here. So now her checking in on him means her checking in on me. Um, and, and it's going to be fun. And plus the, her company, her job and everything, she travels get to travel a lot going to travel a lot here in philly too so it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot but it's gonna be fun so wedding shower is this weekend um it's gonna be a written house um a nice nice venue nice place um a lot of a lot of folks coming um it's gonna be like about 50 something people gonna be at there at the shower not everybody from the wedding was invited because this venue was very particular about sizes and you know they're still operating from a pandemic lens and, and that's fair so want to make sure that the whole team that everyone who is coming is fully vaxxed for, for confirmed and you know it's gonna be a good time we're gonna do like a little brunch situation like it's like a brunch wedding shower brunch vibe which i think is really gonna be fun um but it's gonna be fabulous it's it's gonna be a fabulous time and i can't wait this is the one thing I didn't plan too much. Mr. Johnson planned, uh, like, did a lot of execution on the shower, and my mom did too. So I don't really know what is going to go down. All I know is that Miss Dawn, who has cooked our fabulous, who's catered our fabulous Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, all those great dinners, New Year's dinner she did too. 
she's gonna be catering this, so I know that it's gonna the food is gonna be phenomenal. I just keep thinking about the food for some reason. I'm hungry. Um, and then he's gonna do the drinks. Uh, he's gonna like make pre-mix some of these cocktails and like his lavender lemonade, I believe. So this is gonna be a good old time. And all my friends are coming out of town. Uh, some of my best friends come from LA. My wedding party is gonna be here. Um, and some of them live out of, you know, my homegirl Jessica, she lives out in Texas. She's a lawyer in Texas. My homegirl Amanda, who's in her PhD program in um, Richmond, Virginia, she's coming. Um, my friends Nina and Samantha, they're coming from, from New York and Atlanta and whatnot. A lot of people are coming from different places. This is ba- I think some Baltimore is coming through. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice crowd. It's a motley crew. And so that's happening. And then apparently my bachelor party is also going to be combined. So this weekend is like the wedding shower is going to be on Saturday, but the bachelor party is going to be that evening and all of Sunday. So it's going to be like a, a, a wedding shower bachelor weekend because the wedding party and, and the same is happening for Mr. Johnson. So both of us are going to be having our bachelor parties with our separate wedding parties, his team, my team. And we're not doing any, I don't think we're doing anything together, but we're, we're going to be having our own thing going on. So I'm excited. Like I'm really excited. And there um I think the idea was that behind that was that since everyone's gonna be together already, we should just do everything together. And then also too, like we didn't want to do anything before the wedding. I was very much that person where I was not trying to get drunk or do nothing too wild today before the wedding, because I don't want a hangover before my wedding. I wanna be well rested. I wanna, you know, I wanna look good. You know, I don't want any madness the day before the wedding. I wanna just have a good recital dinner, have a good time, right? And then take my ass, you know, to bed, get up, because it's time to glam. So that's 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 my strategy. But they're they're awesome. I just again, as you can tell, I'm super excited. I cannot wait. And you all love pictures. So Instagram, follow Instagram. We're gonna do an Instagram story, the wedding shower, all the cool fun stuff that's gonna be happening throughout the day. Um, so just be looking out for that, and it's gonna be lit. So talking about things that were lit or not lit or however you feel about it um biden came to philadelphia this week president joe biden came to philadelphia to talk about voter rights there's a lot of drama going on right now in congress around the voting but honestly one of the things that he he spoke about it being an assault on democracy which is true it's true the Republicans are losing their mind. They want to take our voting rights away. They're petty. Listen, they're trying to, to do all this stuff around the voting because they lost. And so they know that they have to find, they got to start working actively to suppress voting rights by the midterm elections, which is in 2022, as you know, next fall. So they are like, okay, they're evil, but they are brilliantly evil. Okay. They know that they got this down to a T. Okay. They are strategic in their evil. Like they're like, oh, we have to make sure that we, the moment they recognized that Biden had lost, I mean, had won, sorry, Trump lost. The moment they knew, they were like, okay, what we doing? Let me call up the Southern states, okay? Let me call up everywhere. We gotta call Pittsburgh. They are working actively to, to, to set us back. And my issue with Biden is that in Biden's speech, he does this great speech. He throws a little jabs at Trump, whatever, at the National Constitutional Center. Everybody was there. And we're going to get on that in a minute. But my whole thing is, why are we not talking about the current strategic legislative things, policy things that can be done to help this? 
drop the filibuster. End it now. And get Joe Mancini and that Simia woman who's playing like they don't know what the fuck party they're part of. Get their asses together and get it down. Iron in. Zone in. What the fuck is wrong with these people? Get a bully. What's the point of having a bully pool, pool, uh, bully pool pit if you can't bully people on it? This is the time to add pressure. Pressure. Add it. Get them together. Tell them you're going to run someone against them in the primary. Scare the fuck out of them. Do what you got to do politically. Shit. All of this, this, this compromise and moderate. This is, listen, if, if, if the state of our democracy is compromised, okay? Come on. Come the fuck on. Get your head in the game. Stop playing games. You can't say that that what's happening right now is an assault on democracy and you're handling this with kid gloves. And you got people in your own party that's acting like they, they have a difference of opinion. Oh my God. Ugh, I cannot. I cannot. I just cannot. So it was annoying. And before I, sidebar. So Dr. Joe Biden, Dr. Joe Biden, the first lady, I need to just say this sidebar and this is nothing against her. But to the people that's out here calling her Jilly from Philly, I need you to put Jilly from Philly in Google and see what comes up. Literally, do it. Put Jilly from Philly and see what comes up. Jill Scott comes up. Jill Scott, Neo Soul, okay? One of the founding mothers of Neo Soul in the, in the, in the 21st century. Black musician, you know, from Philly. There's only one Jilly from Philly, and it's Jill Scott. I know that everyone likes to Columbus and a lot of white people don't know I guess that that's what Joe Scott refers to herself and that's how we know her but it's 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 been here so I need you all to call Dr. Jill Biden you know something else <laughs> but Jilly from Philly or Jill like please y'all need to just know your history listen the safest way to avoid appropriation it's to Google. You know? It's there. Y'all invented it. And y'all don't even use what y'all invented. White people, a white person created Google. Probably not the search engine, but the but Google itself. A white person invented it. Use your you use your tools. Use your words. Use your search engine tools. Use them. Use your vows. Use your tools. Use your common sense. Google. Because we're not about to make Jilly from Philly a thing. With Jill, Scott has been Jilly from Philly for, near, for, for 20 years. So I need y'all to put some respect on the original Jilly from Philly and cut this out. Because I've seen too many articles that are not coming necessarily from Philly, but I'm seeing white people saying it. And I'm like, uh-uh, mm-mm. So just, just white people listen to my podcast. A lot of you all listen and share it and talk to your friends. Cut the Jilly from Philly stuff out. Unless you're talking about Jill Scott. I might have to do a graph. I, I, I feel like I'm going to have to say more on this eventually. But I just want to just put that out there. Because it's become something I'm seeing as a journalist. I'm seeing it editorially. And I've had to text people and just say, hey, FYI, Jilly from Philly is Jill Scott. We don't, I know Dr. Jill Biden is doing her thing. But she's not Jilly from Philly. She's, she's Jilly from... Something else, but we ain't gonna say Philly, okay? 
could do something else. That's all. But back to this. So one of the things that annoys me about when presidents or vice presidents or big political figures of that nature come to Philadelphia, the type of people, the type of people that should be interacting with the president is never the people that should be interacting with the president. Like, like, I don't know. I, I, I know this happens all the time, but it's always this ridiculous VIP flexing from our local officials that just drive me crazy. Like, it's a big old Democratic orgy, thirst trap, bunch of press. I, I just don't have a nice, I don't have anything nice to say about this because it just happens all the time and it's so annoying. And you can see the crowd, the type of people that's there. You have the elected officials, a lot of them who don't do shit, but they'll come out and they're pressed to take a selfie. And then they sit up and they post it on their Facebooks and social. Like, they're just like, so this is the job for you. This is the job. It's like, oh, look who, I get to meet all these famous people. Look at me. And okay, it's one thing if you're like, so let me just put a disclaimer on this. For my young, you know, freshmen, elected officials that are young, that are new to the mix, um, by all means, I get it, right? They're, they're trying to establish themselves within the party or establish themselves. I get it, okay? But to some of these old heads, and I'm going to say old heads because that's, that's, how I'm just, that's how I'm feeling right now. To some of these old heads who's been around the block several times, get a fucking grip. This, you're, you know, you're a grown-ass adult, okay? You're running a district. Many of these districts are swimming in poverty, dealing with gun violence up the wazoo, a public school system, education system that's crumbling, and you want us to think that your little groupie selfie with the president is somehow you fighting for the people? No, it's you showing off your ass. And, and I don't find it amusing. I don't think it's cute. I think it's tacky. I also think that to a certain extent, the people that should be in those rooms should be the people that this party owes its fucking second chance to. And that's black women, that's working class black people, black and brown people that went to the polls and showed up when they had no reason to because they're still not getting the fucking shit they deserve. Those are the people that should have been in that auditorium or prioritizing that in the auditorium. Not this stupid, you know, um, fiasco where you got all these people trying to bum rush and fight for seats like they're fucking five-year-olds thirsting for their moment to look like they, they have some connection to get a bunch of likes. I mean, you know, it's so funny that I find myself in situations where elected officials think they're competing against me for social capital and clout. What the fuck? You are an elected official. You technically should be having more power than me and influence because you produce laws that govern my ass and yours. That is power that is unvanquished power. You have real power to make legislative decisions. I have power to influence too. No kidding there. I believe that I do can influence people, right? I help influence things. But shit, a legislator should be doing, has way more in the sense of how they impact the masses by default. And the power comes vested from the people who elected you and paid their taxpayers dollars to fund your fucking salary. So I just don't think these people understand how government works. I don't think they understand it. And people say, well, Ernest, why won't you run for office? Listen, listen, I might, not now at all, let me clarify, not anytime soon. But shit, I might one day if, if, if it doesn't get any better. And I would be a real good fucking elected official. Because here's the thing, 
I will most likely be one of those elected officials that will have my own money. I would probably fund my own campaign unless people want to give. I wouldn't even tax the working people. I would have my own money. And I would, you know, get the support of, you know, decent people, run, win, and then go up in there and fuck shit up. Like, really go hard and go ham. And, and just give you all one good term. Because I wouldn't want to do it forever, okay? I would never want to be a career politician. If I was a city council person, I would just do four years. Because I think that's all you really need. I mean, if you want two years, whatever. But you really don't need that many years in these positions to, fu- to fuck shit up. Trust me, I know. I know there's people that could come into office and do it. All this 20 years and 24 and all that. Come on. Come on. Now, if you're in the district, maybe. I give a leniency. I think maybe up to three terms if you have a district. But if you're at large, just take one fucking term and be done with it. That's my opinion. I believe in term limits. I think people should have term limits. Every board that I serve on has term limits. They don't just serve on for the rest of their life. And I think that's good for people. I think that's good to to serve and do your part, you know, and make the impact. Because you got to come there with an agenda. I think if you had term limits, people would think carefully. But see, people out here want to be career politicians. A lot of the people in Philadelphia elected officials are dumb as fuck. I'm just going to say that they're dumb. And they get elected not because they're smart or they have brilliant ideas or great platforms. A lot of these people are just dumb hacks that didn't work under somebody, that then got pushed through by somebody's vouching. And so they just sit there and they just listen to whatever's being told to them to spit out and they just go with the fucking flow. No imagination, nothing dynamic, no real focus, no real contingency outside of the party and the couple of folks that just sees a black face on the black flyer and just go with identity politics. I mean, let's just keep it real, real, real quick, right? And so that's why they act like that, because they go to these events and for them, this is fun. This is the part where it's supposed to feel good because they can just perform power, perform power, not really executing power, not knowing their real power. Because any of these people that have real power wouldn't even be concerned with me to the degree to which they are. I mean, I hold people accountable as as a power of the press, but should these people sit up here and they just... They're just, they're just so obsessed about their image and what people say about them on social. They'll spend time arguing on Facebook like they don't, or they're not working for the people. They sit up and, and, and promote their TikToks. They sit up and, you know, go on Instagram and try to be funny and hilarious. And I'm not saying that there can't be joy on the fucking job, but I'm just saying that we're in a moment of crisis and these people are handling it with kids' gloves. <laughs> That's the fucking best we can get. I can't tell you how dumb these people are. Not all of them are dumb. I'm not saying all of them. Some of them are quite smart and good. There are some really good elected officials. I know people, you know, think Derek Green is boring, but I will tell you, Derek Green is probably one of the most thought, thoughtful, hardworking city council people that that isn't looking for all the glitz and the glamour. And you know, yeah, he's from the Northwest, right? But he's he's. Solid. Like, he's just a good, boring city councilman. I don't mind a boring council member. I, and not boring is that he's a bad guy. He's a cool guy. He's a cool dad. He's a kid with autism. He has a great family. He was a lawyer. He, he's, he's, he, he's trying to do a citywide bank. I think he's a solid guy. And he also stepped out for LGBTQ rights and was really one who put the legislation to really combat neighborhood racism back in 2016 and 2017. So, you know, he across the board, that's what a city council member at large looked like to me. Then you got the people like Helen Gim, who, you know, Helen Gim gets things done, but Helen Gim also spends a lot of time trying to be in the spotlight, trying to act like she's the Philly AOC, 
And she spends so much of her optics in, in all these messy, mixy, messy, you know, performative acts that sometimes it distracts from some of the work that she's doing or trying to do. So it's just a combination of egos. And then you got folks that's been in office forever that just keeps doing the same old, same old. And there's people that just should just retire by now. I, I could go on for days. But all I'm saying is that I, I just think it says something when you have elected officials out here that are just groupies for the establishment, groupies for the same Warhawks and, and, and moderates, groupies that, that live in a city where Biden, what would it look like to take Biden in a room and really, really get Biden's ass together on some things? Rather than sitting up here graveling at his feet, acting like, you know, oh, I got his marching orders. Everything's great. Like, come on, y'all. Just, just read the room. Read the room. Your constituents are watching. That's all I got to say. So, speaking of watching, free Britney, okay? There's an update. Britney can now get her own attorney, her own representation of her estate. A representation for her in this conservatorship battle, which is awesome. And she is finally able to get her own lawyer, her own representation and I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like she's about to get, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hold on, you know, but it looks like she might get free. It's coming. It's going to take a little time. But the story's coming out about her family. I'm just disgusted. While, while she's locked up, they out here on her beach, in her beach house, partying off of her, living off of her. It's just terrible. It's terrible. I'm, I was really upset to hear some of the reports that's been coming in about her and about her family and stuff. And I'm looking at, the, the sister, um, Jamie Lynn, the sister who went on Instagram trying to act like she's dead for a sister. Girl, let me find out. People out here, the whole family ain't shit. They, they really, uh, I would encourage y'all if you have not seen it. Uh, New York Times presents the framing of Britney Spears. It's on, it's on a Hulu now. Uh, please watch that. It's like a mini documentary about the case and situation. I watched it when it first came out and it, it really, um, I was always a Britney fan, okay? And I was always for a free Britney movement before it was like, now everybody's on it now because it's trendy. But I was I was always a big uh, Britney fan and always grew up on Britney and listened to Britney religiously. Really loved Britney, okay? And I was one of those loyal Britney fans that even when she had some albums that were kind of questionable, like Britney Jean, we're not going to talk about that album. We're going to act like that album didn't happen. <laughs> Except work bitches on it and perfume was cute. But work bitches, the only thing that made Britney Jean have a have a purpose. Uh, I don't know what was going on with that album. There, there's just so many songs on that album. It's like, why did that happen? And then she did a collaboration with her sister that was kind of cringy. Yeah, we're just gonna forget about that album. The only thing that we're gonna we're gonna be talking about is is work bitch, because that is like a, that's now become a signature Britney song now. It's a, it's a part of the canon. You better work, bitches, like the shit. Uh, and Perfume is like a cute bop, but that's not... I, I No one should listen to that song unless you're like a deep, deep Britney fan. I don't recommend it for other people. You just won't get it. Um, plus, she was really promoting her perfume. I love how Britney likes to incorporate her product placement. I don't know if any real Britney fans notice this, but like in the recent years, like when she started with Femme Fatale, she loves product placement. I cannot tell you how much product placement she has had uh, in her music videos, and I'm like, I know what you're doing. I, her, it's so it, you can you can easily see, spot it. She's she's just good. But uh, anyway, it's been ten years since I've been to a Britney concert. I went to Femme Fatale 
um, this summer in 2011. And it's been 10 years since I've been to a Britney concert. And, you know, I, I mean, we may not ever get another Britney concert because it looks like she's tired of doing music. And it's all right. But, you know, it was good. But we still want her to be free and we love her. So, yeah, that's that's that. Okay, speaking of that's that, what the hell? I, okay, I was just having a conversation with a friend about this, but there is this this movement, right? Everybody's always talking about Chrissy Teigen, and I used to feel bad for her. Like I used to think, "Oh, Chrissy's going through it, y'all. Y'all need to be nice to Chrissy." That was like my mindset. Like, "Oh, y'all need to be nice to Chrissy Teigen because." Y'all picking on her. Y'all being hard on her. That was my energy. But then I start really looking at how Chrissy's been carrying or how she's carried on. And a lot of stuff really got real because she, you know, really came for um, this model named Courtney Stodden um, and basically told Stodden to kill themselves in private messages and then other people started talking about some of the stuff that she's done over the years. And Chrissy Teigen is John Legend's wife. She's also a model. She's also a cook. She has, like, cookbooks and things. She tries to cook. I don't really know if she can cook that well. The stuff I'll be looking at, I'm like, I don't know about this. But, you know, anybody can be anything when you're in Hollywood. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, she, you know, she's, you know, I would say she's John Legend's biggest fan. He wrote a song that inspired her, um, All of Me. And I will tell you all this little tidbit, unless I've said it before, but all, all of um, all of Me, the song um, by uh, John Legend, which came is, is going to be our wedding song. Because it is a great song. Uh, I, I, yeah, you know, all, all of me is a great song, and um, it he it is inspired by he he wrote the song. It, it's it's John Legend's only number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, yeah, it's only number one hit. Um, he's got number one hits on R and B charts everywhere else, but that's like his big number one hit. And, I mean, it did really well. And there's so much significance to the song in Barry and I because there's connection. So, one, as you all know, John Legend's a Penn alum. Um, he graduated, I believe, in 2004. Um, damn. He um, wrote the song, All of Me. The song came out in 2000 and... Uh, it came out in 2000 and... 2014, which is the year I, I graduated from college. It's also the year that he spoke at my, he spoke at my commencement. So he was our, my graduation speaker for 2014, my commencement graduation speaker. And the song came out that year. And that's also the year Barry and I became a couple. So there's like a lot of significance to the song. And the song came out around the time we actually became a couple that, that uh, first semester, I mean, second semester of my senior year. So there's a lot of significance there. And um, yeah, so it just worked. And there'll be other reasons why it's significant, but I'm not going to give all those details until later. But anywho, he wrote this beautiful song about Chrissy. And the video was so cute. I remember when it came out. It was just such a great song. The song is great. But Chrissy, not so great. So she went on. So she's, okay, so ever since 
this came about, this, this this stuff came about, about the situation with Courtney Stodden and some of these messages that she sent. People also say she had a history of bullying. These are older tweets that had happened years ago, but she's always had this weird relationship with social media where she would take a break, not take a break. And she's had a, some serious stuff that's happened over the years. Like she had a miscarriage and that was very unfortunate. And there was like a, a, a moment of like, I had some real sympathy for her. And that's, you know, that is an unfortunate thing. But there's this thing about her, like every time you like have a moment, you feel bad for her. Then you find out she just does some stuff that's just like trash. But she's just one of those people that like to be on social media and pop off and, and throw shots and throw shade. And, you know, it's like, what's going on? Like, what, what's going on? It, it's a lot going on. And the thing is, is that this week she on on um this week, she with her Instagram and she had this whole. She had this whole thing on Instagram where she basically complained about all of this backlash that she was receiving. And, you know, and, and she's been off of the, this. So this incident with um, Courtney, I think, happened a couple of months ago. So this all happened this year. So if, if we're going to talk about cancel culture, hmm, Chrissy Teigen was canceled earlier this year. If we're going to refer to the situation as a canceled situation. Um, <laughs> she's being described in the press as a model and cookbook author. Courtney Stodden is, is a model, but, but Chrissy Teigen is described as a model and cookbook author. That's how people are describing in the press. But basically, she says that she's been sick of herself all day. She says, quote, that Council Club is a fascinating thing, and I have learned a whole lot. Um, only a few understand it, and it's impossible to know till you're in it. And it's hard to talk about it in this in that sense because obviously you sound whiny when you're you've clearly done something wrong. It just sucks. I can't do this silent shit anymore. Okay, Chris. So my whole thing is I have two things because I do have two separate thoughts about this. First of all, Chrissy, listen, listen. Yo, you were you you so you so trapped in when you were just in Italy with your boo enjoying the sun with your family like two weeks ago. Girl, shut the fuck up. And I say that because of the fact that you're a multimillionaire, okay? You literally have a career, you have other aspirations and things that you should be focused on, and you're upset because you can't go on social media and talk shit. You mad because, well, first of all, you can. Okay, you got a team, right? A team that is because okay, this is how capitalism works, right? They're telling you to get the fuck off of social media because you're going to lose money in endorsements. Because she lost endorsements, okay? She lost some major endorsements or people did not continue to sell her products when this went down, okay? So her company, her people around her are probably telling her, please shut the fuck up right now because we got to make sure that you secure your bags to keep your money. So all this other chitter chatter that you're doing right now, be quiet. Because right now there's a lot going on and you're going to cost a lot of people their jobs that's on this whole team John Legend, Chrissy Tiger, Tegan thing. Like, just, just th that's what's happening. So it's not like she's actually trapped. If she want to go on Twitter, she can. She just got to understand that going on Twitter means that there are going to be people that's going to say you're not shit. And guess what? That's life. Look, there are people out here who listen to my podcast or hate listen to my podcast, write horrible reviews, Thank God many of you all write positive reviews, right? And give me five-star reviews, and I appreciate you all for it. But there are people that just want to be nasty and jealous and bitter. And that's just what comes with the territory. When you're in the public eye, 
you know, people are going to be haters. Now, let me say this. No one deserves to be getting threatened. Nobody deserves to get physically attacked. No one deserves anyone to be going to do the most. So you have the right to block. I just block people. I don't play with people anymore. I don't do this whole responding, going back and forth with folks. I don't do it. You're going to get a block. You talk to me crazy. You say something crazy that is not intellectually sound, nor coherent or mature. You're going to block. You come in my thing calling me the N-word, calling me the F-word, the homophobic F-word. Uh, you're getting blocked. I don't got time for homophobes. I don't got time for racists. I do not negotiate with terrorists. And that's how I look at it. I don't got time. There's people that love to argue and go back and forth with people in the comments. And say, oh, I don't do that. And let me tell you what else I do. Like on my, on my Instagram, I have it set that no one could just comment under my threats. And I, people get upset about this. They say, oh, you know, I, I couldn't comment under your picture. Well, I don't know you. And now that I know you, you seem like a decent person, I'll follow you back. So only the people I follow can respond to my post on Instagram. Because I have to set up those, those, those um, safety measures for myself. Because when Sean King, you know, Trash Bucket Sean King, uh, doxed me um, on social, like put me all out there. All of his crazy followers and trolls and Bernie bros, they all went full frontal on my page. They went on my uh, on, on my fiance's page. They went on my Instagram page. It was in my comments. They just really posted crazy stuff and just tried to harass me. And so I said, oh, no, I'm locking these comments up. Only people I follow can comment because I'm not about to deal with that shit. You know, there's a way that people can inbox me and I can accept the message and read it. But you're going to have to put some effort in it. You're just not going to just get in my comments and say whatever the fuck you want. I just, I just not, I'm not here for it. So I don't play those games. And I say that because out here doing the work that I do, black people on social media do not belong to any of you all. No one belongs to anyone. But I'm just being clear that I don't have to respond to hate. I don't have to respond to threats. If you got a comment about an article I wrote or something of some level of maturity, you can say, hey, I read this, wanted to think about this, whatever. Sure, I'll read it. May, will I respond all the time? Probably not because I have a life. And my life is not just reading, responding comments all day because I get thousands of them and, you know, on, a, on a monthly basis. Like, I have a whole separate inbox. Listen, if you can see how many messages I get, okay? And, and, and I can, you know, the good thing is, is that when I, I know it's garbage when I see the headline. And so someone says, fuck you, you don't, I don't even read, I just delete it. But there are some people that send like, you know, thoughtful messages and, and I sometimes will respond back. But like, I've learned to guard my joy. I've learned to protect my peace. And I've learned to understand that in this industry, not everyone's going to like you and agree with you because that's not what this is about. But it's about just making sure that through the work that you do, you're, you're keeping your sanity, and you're protecting yourself. And one of my, in my class this week, uh, upcoming week, one of the lessons I'm going to be teaching in this writing class, it's called Find Your Voice, is talking to my students about um, the importance of like when you write an article and it comes out, you're doing that kind of work, preparing for response. Responses on both ends. Sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's negative. Sometimes it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. But how to protect yourself in that process? Because it's, 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 I'm not going to lie to people and act like there's a way to make yourself never be hated. No. People are canceling people, try to cancel people every day for different reasons. People try to cancel me on a regular basis for whatever reason. I mean, that's just life. Okay. I ran a whole book about it, right? But with Chrissy's tickets rant, I, I just have a lack of, like, I just don't feel that sorry for her in the sense that you know how this game works. You got your ass on Twitter. You were trying to cancel people. And, and let me be clear. These are people that should have been canceled. You tried to cover people. And, and listen, 
you know, people are not trying to come for you. And, you know, if, if you don't want to deal with that, don't deal with it. But to sit up and complain, act like you're trapped and you're depressed. I just hate when people do that because it just really, um, it, it just really dampens and reduces the real uh, strike that people go through. This is a fucking first world problem. Where is Courtney Kardashian with people are dying in Africa, Kim? Like, where, where, is the, where is that rhetoric? Because I'm just looking at her like, this is like, so you, so, so, so the issue is, is that this is what social media addiction looks like. This is what it looks like when people say they need attention and validation on social media. Clearly, Chrissy's addicted to social media. Like, this is for her, like, how she feels validated. And that's a problem. But then again, I'm not surprised because she's a model. And models, a lot of these models cling to this type of public uh, adoration and validation. And so this is what it is for her. It, it does that for her. And I think it does it for a lot of people, right? People want to feel good. But my whole thing is you have a whole family. You have children, small children that can hug you and kiss you and love you. You have a loving, adorable husband that looks like Arthur. You have, you know, a good support system of A-list celebrities and, and friends and people. You have a house and a mansion. You can fucking cook. You're not, you're not starving or waiting for your next paycheck. Be fucking grateful. <laughs> Just... Come on. Come on. This is how you know celebrities don't got shit to do. Because they mad about the... Like, I wish that was my problem. That I wish I could be... That my only issue in life and my only concern right now would simply be worried about not being able to be on social media and get the, the, the validation and adoration of strangers after the same very strangers was trashing me because of some shit I tweeted. Like, I don't know. I just... I cannot. But this whole council club like cancel club, that's the word we use. That's what we use. That's what we doing. Cancel club. I thought that was interesting that she referred to it as cancel club. I, I was like, there's a, there's a real who's. You know what? I'm gonna save it for the book. See, this is one of the moments where I'm like, you know, what? I'm doing too much. Let me save it for the book. I'm gonna save it for the book. All right. <laughs> oh yes. Speaking of cancel culture, how are you? Tyler fucking Perry. Okay, so Tyler Perry has been trending um, on 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 Twitter and on social media because of his god awful show. I don't know if the show, I think the show is called Sisters, and it's on BT. And I, I don't know what. First of all, he's been doing some weird shit on these shows. These shows he's doing for BT, BT Plus. I can't keep up with all the shows he got. He got Sisters. He got Brothers. He got this other show called Ruthless or Ruthless or I can't keep up with the shows. Y'all, I may be telling the titles wrong, but anyway. This last episode apparently got people sharing it. There are people watching it. So people are watching it, but they always catch these bizarre, odd moments in his show. And so there's a scene where there's a guy who I guess is sexually fluid. I don't know. I didn't watch the episode in full. I just saw the clip. But I guess him and his relationship with this woman, this is it's a black guy. And it's something about Tyler Perry. He's always giving his black actors like either bad edge-ups or like bad fro wigs. It's like really weird. They all look very robotic. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's the Atlanta set or the trade that he's hiring on his set. <laughs> uh, but it's just something going on with Silent Perry's productions. Like the, the low quality of the, the studios. See, this is an example of how you can have an empire that doesn't stand on anything. And this is what happens when we have an empire that does not stand on anything. He has lots of money. But he has lots of money because he's a fucking anti-union son of a bitch. Like, he's, a, he's anti-unions, y'all. Like, he's all, like, does not support unions. He's terrible. 
Okay, read up on like some of the complaints from SAG Afro and other groups. Like Tyler Perry is is not good on the on that front. He does not like unions, y'all. As far as he does not have his workers um, on that type of scale, and he's always he's like you know they, they you know it's funny everybody act like Republicans, you know, and this is the same thing that happened with Little Baby. Uh, well, the baby, not little baby. Let me clarify, but we'll get to this in a minute. But th- this this whole Republican culture, like they they, they they act like black Republicans. I mean, you know, he's just like the pulled me up out of bootstraps, respectability politics, but then messy and homophobic and anti black women and his his characters. He's got a lot of fucking issues. But in this segment, this man is talking about. How you know he's different, and and uh, you know he 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 has lace underwear, and maybe he don't think it's gonna work out because he has lace underwear because he um did he say oh he he likes his prostate to get tickled a little. It was just <laughs> what <laughs> what is going on? And I said they say Tyler Perry write these scripts. So I'm looking like, are you projecting Tyler? Is this about you? Is this what you think of gay people? I just don't understand. It's just a lot of stereotype. And I was like, did this come out? How does this man keep a straight face? No pun intended. The actor while making this line. Oh, God. It was, it was, it was interesting to say the least. But we're, we're every, I feel like every other month, first of all, Tyler Perry don't give a fuck about what we have to say about him. Let me just get that out the way. Tyler Perry does not give a fuck about what we have to say about him. Tyler Perry looks at us and says, I'm rich, bitch. That's how he feels. And, and we made him rich. I didn't make him rich. But y'all made him rich. Y'all bought those, those DVDs. The Chitlin Circuit is supporting him. Y'all supporting him in spite of it. You know, R.I.P. Cecily Tyson, but a lot of black acting legends have worked for him and they defend him. Viola Davis, Holly Berry. She hasn't done anything with him, but she she likes Tyler Perry. Um, you know who I don't see coming out for Tyler Perry, which is good? It's Denzel. Denzel is not touching him. No Tyler Perry works. Viola Davis was in one of, one of Tyler Perry's movies. Um, Holly Berry likes him because he's named studios after some of these actors. Um, him and Spike Lee, I think, are on better terms now, but at one point in time, Spike Lee did not like him. Tyler Perry was very critical of his movies. I don't know why he, you know, but I just think the thing is that when you get money and power, I mean, this this man, of course, made a fortune exploiting black stories. I mean, he brought in the the modern day, you know, you know, trash uh, for black cinema. Like he, like there's always someone who's going to hustle. He hustled in that way and people just like it. And, you know, it was at one point in time where it was, it felt somewhat community. But then something happened. Um, oh, I know the misogynoir, the the homophobia, uh, the transphobia, in some of his films, and the problematic stereotypes, and and the, and the overall anti-blackness, and the and the the crucial messages in his films that some people look at as inspirational, inspirational, but in many ways are very problematic. Yeah, it, that's what he sold, and people drank it up. People drank it up, and. I would say that if you like his films for whatever reasons, can you look at his business practices? Like how the fact that he literally wants to colonize every aspect of his productions, which is why they're not that good. 
he he writes all his scripts, which oftentimes have horrible plot twists. Loop, but there's really no plot twists, to be honest. Loopholes, plot holes, as they call it. Um, the characters are never fully fleshed out. They are tropes. A lot of his stories are redundant. Um, a lot of, of his stories project a lot. You could tell this man has an issue with black women or has issues with some... I mean, he's had a... He did not have the best relationship with his mother. And I think that comes across in some of the stuff he writes about black women. And he also has an issue with gay people. And he also has an issue with pause people, like the way he treats HIV or discuss that subject matter in his films and his, his work. This is a lot of issues here. Um... <laughs> And I would just like to sit down with him. He'll, he'll probably never sit down with me. But never say never. Because, I mean, I met Oprah. His, you know, someone who likes him. Um, I would just like to talk to him about some of his screen work. I would, as a black gay man, talking to another black man. Um, I would like to talk to him about his work. And, and just really, like, say, what, what, what was you thinking when you did this? Because it can't just be lollipops and roses. And sometimes I hate when people do interview him. They do the whole, your critics. Stop saying the critics. Motherfucker, that's what you think. You, I, a lot of us have these thoughts. And he gets away with it. And he doesn't care. But I, I, I feel like there's going to be a moment. He's going to hit a wall. This is going to get tired. This is going to get tired very fast. I, I do believe it. I mean, I feel like he's gotten away. Like, he's gotten a whole decade, nearly 20 years. He's about 15 years in the game. But I, I feel like there's going to be a wall that's going to hit. Because as consumers get more woke on these things, as we begin to evolve as a community, we get tired of certain things, right? There's always a certain level of humor or, or style that we don't like. Like hip-hop, right? Hip-hop has evolved in a way. Like, we don't go hard for that heavy New York gangster rap anymore. That was an era, and I thought that was never going to go away. There's some rappers doing some stuff nowadays, but it doesn't match or meet where it used to be. Like, there's eras, right? Battle rap was a thing, right? Writing bars was a thing. No one writes anymore. Uh, you know, no one really writes anymore. Um, there were just, like, things, elements of entertainment and society and culture that we all thought that was going to last, and then it don't. Like right now, I hope, I hope, it's, it's going to take a minute though. But right now in Hollywood, we got this stupid, we had to see, remember the sequels where everybody was obsessed with sequels? I think that era is starting to diminish a little bit. Like, go, like, we'll get to what type of genre is taking over. But like the sequel era is going away or is fading slightly, which is good. But what we have now is a stupid Marvel universe. Every fucking movie coming out is a superhero movie. And it's like, that's it? Like, everything's a fucking superhero. It's like, Black Widow just came out. Like, everything is some action universe film. It's like, is that all we got? You know? So, I, 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 uh, I'm hoping that certain genres and things phase out, including Tyler Perry. I think that's what's going to end up having to happen. But I say I have to say that this, 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 this his ideology, um, these men are acting as Black Republicans, even if they're tasteless. We get so caught up in this identity politics sometimes around this this notion of well he's employing a lot of black people yeah but he's also exploiting a lot of black people like 
You know, <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it, it's like saying, you know, Hitler hired uh, gave a lot of people jobs and, and, and discipline. But those people went off to kill people, innocent people. So, like, say that without saying Trump, Trump gave a lot of people jobs through his empire. But his empire was built on fucking fraudulent terms and, and, and misleading people and racism. So, you know, it's like, oh, Tyler Perry hired a lot of black people, gave them jobs. Yes, so they can be mammies and play very subservient roles or disrespect themselves and play homophobic tropes and sexist black, anti-black women tropes. Yes, he put an empire based on that. So, like, fuck the hiring part, the capital part. Like, it just, I, I just don't think people talk out the side of their mouth. But also a lot of people are just dumb as fuck. And I realize a lot of people are just dumb. And I just have to stop entertaining dumb conversations sometimes. Because I just feel like anytime you come to a conversation fixated on money without talking about the ethics and, and all those things, I look at you sideways. I got to look at you sideways. If you're already fixated on money, then, you, you know, you're acting like these the, the problematic white supremacist power structures that has dictated and colonized us for hundreds of years. You're focused on the wrong thing because everyone's fixated on money. And this, 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 there's this culture of folks that's like black capitalists. I think that shit is cute. Okay, but you're just replicating the same fucking white supremacist structure. And you think that it's going to change because you're black? You no, Do you really think that you're going to be able to run Wall Street? You think that the only issue with the way that white supremacists and Wall Street run capitalism that they're white? No, it's the practices. And if you think that putting a black face in a white space to perpetuate the same problematic capitalistic tropes is going to change anything... Oh, you're in for it. You're in for it. I mean, look at like <laughs> Miss Lean In over there, Schumberg, whoever her name is, who was at Facebook, right? Remember her with the Lean In? I'm a woman and I'm going to, you know, girl boss, all that talk. And look what Facebook is doing to us. And look what Facebook has done to black women on, on their platforms, right? Like these people are not out here leaning in to support us. They're fucking leaning back to fuck us over. <laughs> like it's, it's, like, it's a lot of this performative jargon. A lot of this representational shit. Representation means nothing without focused power. If you're, if you, you know, and this is the same thing with elected officials in Philly and all across the country. All this, I'm the first black to come first. That's all great. But if you don't have any focused power, if you don't have any power to, to actually, like, leverage and change things, it does mean, it means absolutely nothing. Sorry, but it doesn't. And this brings me to this situation with the baby. The baby, I don't know why people, I mean, so let me be clear. Little baby is more talented. He's a better rapper. He's got skills. I think it's cool. His, his rap. I, my younger brother listens to him and people I know has been really telling me about this guy. Seems like he's a good rapper. I've listened to some of his stuff. I get it. My turn was all right. Not bad. Um, but the baby. The baby's become, he's a rapper. And we've talked about him a couple of times. And he's become this guy who's like really um, fixated on uh, how do I describe this? He's he he's he's become a gimmick in his own sight. So so the whole idea was he's supposed to be this hard rapper, but he's supposed to be cute, and he's okay. He's not ugly, but he's not. I don't think he's all that. But he's supposed to be like this rapper that talks hard, but at the same time he's got a, a kid boy persona, a very smiley face, and very you know. Whatever. I guess he's, you know, manageable because he's on a lot of these tracks now. Like he's on 
you know, he's on Dua Lipa's the remix to Levitating with Dua Lipa, which to be quite honest, I like the original Levitating without him on it, but he's okay on. I guess it's a little bop. But Levitating by Dua Lipa is awesome. And I told you how much I love Future Nostalgia a while ago. Um, but that being said, he's in the news again because of the fact that he talks of he he was in the news because there's a whole controversy around he there was these kids that were selling a box of Skittles. And like this is a thing, and I grew up um, in Houston and, and across the South, they just, you know, you get boxes of candy, like you buy from Sam's Club and you sell it because that's how you make money. And so when I was growing up, I used to do speech and debate competitions and I used to do a lot of things, but I would sell candy um, and I would make a lot of money and I would use that money to, um, you know, for myself. My mother taught me early how to be an entrepreneur and my family did and I used to sell candy. It used to be funny. I used to skate all the time. I miss those days. I used to have on roller skates. And I used to have a helmet on. And I would have a bucket full of candy. And I would go door to door in my apartment in the neighborhood. And I would sell candy. And I think, you know what's crazy is that this is so nostalgic. I haven't thought about this in years. But this little, this, this, the baby story, this the baby situation made me remember this and think about this. So I used to, like, I was like seven I had to be like seven. I was young. I was like seven, eight years old. And I was really, really skinny. And I used to like just roller skate. I just had so much energy. I used to roller skate all around um, my apartment complex. And I used to, you know, in Houston, we had apartment complexes. See, Philly don't really have apartment complexes. But like, it would be big, like units, huge units and multiple floors and stuff. You, It would be hard. And woo, those were the days. Um, but I would like go through, go door to door. And I would sell candy. And I used to have customers. Like, I used to know the ones I could sell to. And I used to know the ones who I could sell to, and I know who would always buy from me. And I just knew it. And I would learn how to be persuasive. There's a lot of skills. They don't do it like this anymore, y'all. I mean, nowadays, people just... I mean, people was always kidnapping kids. But nowadays, you can't even do shit like that anymore. Because it's like, motherfuckers are crazy. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> it was like 1999, right? 1978, 2000. Yeah, it was like, I was like, yeah, like seven or nine years old. And I used to skate, you know, through, and I used to be very polite. I'd knock on the door. And, and, and it was like, and that was the time where people would answer the door. I mean, it was just a different culture. Like, this could not happen anymore. The only time kids are knocking on the door with anything involving candy is Halloween. And kids barely do that anymore. You know, it's just a different, you know, different world. Look at me, sounding old. But <laughs> I used to go and I used to have my customers. And what I learned in this experience was how to be persuasive. I used to learn. I learned early how to talk to people, different people from different backgrounds. I was exposed to adults at a very young age in a way of like understanding how to talk and speak up for myself and how to have confidence. And I, and I didn't realize that that was that may have played a role in who I am today. I'm like revisiting a lot of this stuff like, damn, that was a character building experience. Because you have people that will say no. Or what you do is you have a dose that will say, tell me why I should buy this candy. And you would have to get creative. And, and they would buy it. I was like, okay. You know, and it was just such a, it was just such a, a moment. But like, I learned how to talk to people. And I think that's what ended up making me such, so easy to do reporting when I was, you know, when I started in the business. Because it wasn't nothing for me to go knock on the door to talk to someone or, or go in the community interview people and get a comment. Because I was, I've always been doing that my entire life. And I didn't realize I was doing it in different ways. Fascinating. But like I um, saw these kids and I have so much empathy. When I see when I see kids, I, I, I don't see that much in Philadelphia do it. 
Um, but in Atlanta, there's the water boys in the south. People sell the water. People sell the, the, the you know, there's always a group of people selling something. I'm always crazy about that. Not to say that I need to bombard my house with candy every day, but I know what that's like. And I try to support as much as I can. Um, if I see like they got like, oh, six something candies left, I'll just buy the whole box. I, I just knew what that was like. Because you didn't go home until that whole bucket was empty. Okay? You have to work it. I had a mission and I had a goal to make a certain amount of money. And so when I saw that video that the baby posted on his Instagram and his social, I was disgusted because for starters, there were several things that was context is important about that video. First of all, you're filming these kids. They're underage. There's no parental consent. Like where are these, you know, like you got them on camera on your phone for your own fucking content. You're talking about how these kids are the finesse you because the kids were like saying that the boxes were $200. Now, what, ha- what they meant by that, because as a candy seller myself, a candy dealer, okay, because I'm a candy dealer. I was a candy dealer. Not a drug dealer, a candy dealer, okay, which is more important. Uh, we've got to understand that people didn't always give you money for the candy. So you can sell the candy. You can say, oh, I'm selling this M&M's for like $2 or whatever, right? People would always give you a tip of tea to keep the change. Some people would say, look, I just want one candy, but here's $20. So you could get, like, a, like if I sold a bucket of candy, my bucket of candy might be worth $50 on the retail end. But I would come home with, like, maybe $100 or, or, or like, $80 or whatever because people sometimes would a, either, A, just give me money or just take one candy. Sometimes people would give me a bunch of money and take like only a few pieces, but like it would just multiply. But anyway, it was a lot in donations. So when those kids were talking about the Skittles box or whatever being worth $200, that's because of how much they would have gotten in donations. Dumbass. So he acted like he was uh, being finessed, which is ridiculous because they're children. And basically he only bought two candies from them or whatever and tried to give them this lesson, this lecture or whatever. And it was just stupid. It was exploitative. It was dumb. It was stupid. And I hate when I see this happen. I remember Meek Mill did it to some kids, like trying to buy some water bottles or something. But stop filming these children. First of all, let's start from there. Let's talk about basic human dignity and respect. These are minors. Stop filming them without their, like, don't do that. And then on top of that, you're, you're attempting to humiliate them. There is a culture of people. And, I, and I've been talking about this lately because I feel like I'm on a sermon right now. But I, I, I really feel some type of way about this. Where people like to humiliate children. Like small children. Like black children. And it's one thing if you're with family, you've got a cousin, a brother that's being silly. Because you know I love to tease my brothers and stuff on my Instagram. But they're my siblings. And they are, and, and you see them, they, they love the camera. Okay, they like to be up in it. But, but, but when I see people do this to other people's children, people that they don't know, and they're doing this like in a way that is meant to target, I, I think it's disgusting. And I just feel like what's so funny about it is that he's talking about they're trying to finesse him. You finesse these kids for content on your social media platform. You should have gave them $200 alone for filming them. Yeah, you should have gave them more than that. You should not film them without their permission or their parents' permission, but you should have bought the box just because. And you're also a fucking millionaire and you're a cheap bastard and, and no one likes cheap bastards. So everything about the church was stupid. I, it was very interesting because I've seen people try to defend him and say those kids are trying to do whatever. They're children. They're children. 
And as anyone who sold candy, what they were trying to explain to him is what it was worth. Not how much it was retail. He clearly was either A, a cheap bastard. Clearly he was. Somebody who thought he was going to tell them something and flex himself. Because a lot of people like to perform this level of education and knowledge about these issues. No, you was being cheap. No, you thought it was funny to, 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 to play them in their face. And I don't like that. And it's always happened to young black kids. People love to do these videos of, these, of kids in these ways. I, I hate it when Meek Mill did this thing where he was seeing a homeless man and was giving this homeless man something. Stop doing this. But speaking on someone who did the opposite, even though he is problematic, Soulja Boy, Soulja Boy went out and on camera and bought these boxes off of the kids. Like, not the same kids, but other kids. Because like I said, this is a thing in Atlanta and across the South. I don't really see much of it on the East Coast. But there, there's, okay, so let me back this up. In Philly, there's a woman called the Candy Lady. And she, and you all, if you're in West Philly, you know the Candy Lady. She's the lady who has the big old candy bucket and she can stand on her head and she walks around town. She's very, she's a little flirty and very persuasive she tries to be to get people to buy her candy. Sometimes she will sing to you. It's a lot. Okay? It's a lot. That That's, that's all I can say. It's a lot. Um... <laughs> Woo, child. But I say all this to say, he bought the candy um, off of the off of some kids and showed the baby what he should have done. So that's what he did. So my piece that came out recently has got a lot of people talking in Philadelphia Magazine. Um, and I knew it was going to do that. I knew it was going to have that effect. Um, basically, the piece is called, In Case You Missed It, or I see why am I Philly police made sure to defend white supremacists, defend the free speech of white supremacists. Yes. During the July 3rd, some of y'all may have heard this already. Police allowed hate, um, allowed the hate group Patriot front, which is a hate group. Okay. So, you know, they've been registered as a hate group by many people, but their ties is connected to the 2017 unite the right, uh, rally that was that violent uh, situation happened in um, Charlottesville. This group has been since affiliated with neo Nazis, of course, white supremacists, and their whole rhetoric is taking the country back, you know, all that type of rhetoric. And there are no white nationalist hate group. Um, Southern Poverty Law Center has. Um, you know, reported on that, but also they, they, uh, there are no white nationalist hate group with roots that is connected to that Unite the Right riots, which was in Charlottesville, Virginia. And they didn't ask for a city permit. Okay. They're not request for a city permit. They came to Philadelphia to disrupt and they did it the night before Independence Day because of the symbol, the symbolism. Of course, they came to Philadelphia, which is, you know, the birthplace of the, of the constitution. And, and some people say democracy. Hmm. Um, and they came here at night and they dropped smoke bombs. They got in fight with counter protesters. It was violent. And the police really handled this in a very blase fashion. I mean, they said things like, as a law enforcement agency, the Philadelphia Police Department is charged with the duty to ensure the safety of individuals who are exercising their constitutional right to speak freely and peaceably uh, and peacefully, uh, peacefully assemble. 
Um, after police became aware of escalating tensions between those marching and the bystanders on the street, police ensured that the march remained peaceful. Once Patriot Front members concluded their protest and depart the area, police, I mean, officers resumed normal operations. That's what a spokesperson said. I'm for the police department, the Philadelphia Police Department. I, I'm just trying to understand. This sounds like, like a like a black like a like a simple march that that happened. That, that, that it doesn't sound like a white supremacist group that came without a permit that was with nearly 200 people that literally came to Philadelphia late at night downtown with no permit with no fucking rhyme or reason and then started fucking harassing with people that were telling them to get out of town like like this sounds like you know this was a, 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 a like the Puerto Rican day parade or or some shit like that or Odun day or something this does not sound like white supremacists was in town without a permit 200 of them, 200 white men was in Philadelphia the day before July 4th. I mean, all of this should be a, a fucking hazard. This should be a concern, right? Like during a holiday, national holiday, there's like safety alerts. They got detained. Nobody got tear gassed. Really? They were dropping smoke bombs, fighting. Nobody got shot. Nobody got tear gas. Nobody got shot with, with, with pellet bullets and shit. Oh, interesting. But that's what happened in Philadelphia last summer when innocent Black Lives Matter protesters and community members was down I-76 and on 52nd Street. So, so, so to me, I think the real conversation and when I and there is conversation and chatter going on the internet. But I, I'm just trying to get people to understand that literally. Philadelphia, the city, is just like acting like this ain't no big deal. Like these motherfuckers won't come back again. Okay. But see, as a journalist, what I like to do is inform people, because that's what journalists do. But I like to, to, to keep these things on record because people will act like if this if they come back, which I think they will come back, because white supremacists never go away. At least not in this era, right? I don't want anybody to act like we don't know how the police feel. Because the police wasn't out there doing anything. Because one would argue that the police were protecting their speech. White supremacy and police to go hand in hand, to be honest. And this is a good example of that. Like they're like, oh yeah, they came, you know, they had to, you know, you know, you know, do their first amendment. We already know that there are white nationalists and people who hold these beliefs within the police department. We saw, like a couple of years ago, dozens of them that was connected to racist, um, anti-Semitic, um, Trump-supporting, xenophobic posts that was made on social media uh, by these officers that got exposed. We saw that already. There were officers that were suspended. There's still stuff going People fighting for their jobs back. And these people were within the police unit. And now the police have a shortage of officers because nobody wants to be police anymore. Like I said, the institution is, is, is slowly but surely showing its ass. Showing its ass. Showing its ass. Um, but that's all I have to say, okay, that in many ways, the responses I've gotten from white people about my pieces, specifically white straight men, has been nothing short than a hot ass mess. 
Okay. I just, I just want to be clear. It's been interesting seeing some of these responses, seeing the way that some, some white straight men have gone to my comments and tried to talk to me about my perspective on this issue. And it's been nothing short than a farce. So this week I got a really good gift from a friend, um, a, a company called Stanley Chester Albert makes these really great ceramics and they make great mugs. But this mug they, that I received is from a friend is called Straight White Male Tears. That was a label on the mug. And you probably saw it on my Instagram and on my uh, Twitter. And it was a really nice gift. Uh, and so I used that mug and I said, I'm going to probably need it. And so I said, you got to watch for the sodium intake because it might be very uh, a lot of sodium, which is hilarious. So let me tell you, this 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 white guy um, DM'd me on Instagram and my DMs. Because I tell you, they let her come in the DMs with the bullshit. And he messaged, well, he tried to tag me on his post, criticizing my piece I wrote about defund the police. And just went this whole tyrant. Okay. And they like to tag me like they like 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 they want me to see their shit. Look, I don't do all that. But he messaged me and I was out that night before I was able to do my, my classic block because I don't I'm not giving people all that energy. But one of the things that I noticed was that he um sent me this long ass message and I don't know what it is about the whole paragraph. Like why folks let us send you whole paragraphs and give you all this energy and smoke. I just be like, what is all of this? So he said, and I'm gonna read it because I think it's hilarious. But I also think it's important to know. What I'm saying, quote, is how are you helping by writing that, referring to the piece? I tell you how I'm helping if you want to ask me, but I know you won't hear me out. You have to realize when we defund the police, they get less training. They're going to be worse. That's the last thing we want is the police to be worse. The city needs to stop the violence between everyone fucking a four-year-old kid and his dad was shot right before I walked into Federal Donuts the other day. Have you seen someone get shot in the fucking face before lastly i love journalism and writing and i want to say i respect you for having pursued that career and been successful in it and are successful in it but i think we have a lot more to solve around here than the police at least where i live in philly good luck to you i urge you to read articles on the special forces and case studies of people who went through who who go through extensive training when they're tired, when they're hungry, when they're wet and cold, hot in every stress response, so that when the time comes, they don't go, they don't act out of line. Stay safe. Go Eagles. Go Phillies. Go Philadelphia. Go Flyers. And for the record, I love gay people. Some of my best friends are gay, and I love black people. My brothers who have played football with in college, I will take a bullet for. I love American Indians. I love I love people for their personalities and their character, not their skin. Reading through your profile, you have, but I believe is a good heart. But I've done extensive research on training police officers so that they don't fuck up. And I urge you to do the same. I wouldn't be on this earth if it was not for Alexa Kennedy, my hero, the first female and first black neurosurgeon. I think racism can come from any race. So when I see you post things that are clearly racist, am I supposed to take it like a bitch? 
I'm nice to everyone until they cross the line. I'll stop bugging you. I'm sure I would enjoy your presence. Presence? Or he said presence, but I think he meant presence. And I'm sure you're a cool guy. And he does these fist bumps. I responded back to him with an image of my mug saying straight white male tears. And I did not respond any further. Y'all. Y'all. I don't know where to start. And I don't even want to begin. <laughs> All I want to say is this is why I have my settings the way I have them. Because could you imagine a nutcase like that actually in my comments writing something like that? First of all, I know my followers would have gathered him and chopped him up and chewed him up and spit him out. I know y'all would have just, it would have just not went anywhere. So now they want to comment like long ass paragraphs and they want to, they want me to just deal with them. See, this is what straight, this is what straight white male tears look like. Okay. It looks like white men like him that like feels like the world has to agree with him because heaven forbids someone that is black, someone that is gay, someone that is not his age or looks anything like him has a different opinion that he feels like it's got to be completely wrong. And not only is it wrong, but you also have to conform to it or is the end of the world, even though you're not the person that's on the receiving end of the bullshit that you're talking about. It's, it's, it's baffling. It's not even baffling anymore. I just think it's the audacity. But then it's like, this is what it's been like for over 400 years in this country. So I, I can't be shocked. But it's just like, for fuck's sake. Like, I mean, it's just where, that's where I'm at with it. It's like, for fuck's sake. I mean, like, really? You know, it's just, it's just really like that for me. I, I don't even... There's no way to intellectualize bullshit. I mean, everything that he did was a, a cliche thing, right? It's the, you don't know what you're talking about. You should read this. It's the, we're all the same and you can be, you know, racist too. Bullshit. It's the, oh, you know, I, I'm not a racist. Let me, I'm not a homophobe. Let me tell you how I got black friends. I like American Indians. American Indians, not natives. No, no, American Indians. All right. And how you got a black friend you would take a bullet for that you play football with. Oh, my God. If you, if you want to talk about all of the textbook ways that white people and white men talk about race, like he's checking all the books. I mean, he was one step short from saying there's not a racist bone in my body. Huh. Right. Like, that's not how any of this works. And, and it's interesting because some of these men, men like him are training police. And he's supposed to expect me to believe that police are going to be <laughs> police. Defund it. Defund it because people like him are training officers. And that's why they think the way they think. Even though they are already indoctrinating this fucked up system. But I digress. Like, just just spare me. Spare me your straight white male tears. Please. Please. For the sake of it. For fuck's sake. Please. Okay. So, I... Yeah, I'm going to get on this. Darius motherfucking Cooks, which we now refer to as Darius Crooks, okay? He's that guy who've been, who has been getting dragged in the press lately. Thanks to the work of people like, you know, the Kitchenista. Thanks to the work of a lot of black women in culinary and just a lot of people who's been spreading the word. You know, I've been spreading the word on social media. I've been doing my thing to get the word out and the messaging. I appreciate you all who, who have been listening to that podcast episode and resharing it and subscribing. Thank you all for that. Because it's time to, to, to it, it's time, right? Darius Crooks, okay, needs to go. Okay, he has to go. 
He he's just been trolling, and and I'm and I'm saying Kitchenista, the Kitchenista has been killing it. Okay, Angela has been doing the fucking thing and raising attention, and many others have been, and many people in the press have been stepping up and covering it. You know, Black Enterprise at the store, a couple other cook places, even the, some of the reporters are getting threats now. I'm hearing like it's wild, but at the end of the day, there's making inroads because for a long time. This man got to roam around doing the shit he's doing. I tell people there's an important aspect between the activism and the press. Because what happens a lot of times is that there's a lot of activists who get on social media and they don't get heard. They don't get amplified by other journalists. And as, as someone who does it, I like to amplify you know, people who are out here fighting that fight. If I can't immediately do a story or something, I'll retweet. Because there's, a, there's power in the retweet. Praise Praise the Twitter God. No, there's power in the retweet because your followers see it. Their followers see it. I tell people that all the time. Liking something is cool, but retweeting it is better because that way more people are seeing it. And also, it's a way to let people know where you stand. You know, people say that retweets are not endorsements. Bullshit. You know, if it's not an endorsement, I say quote tweet it then. Okay. And let people know how you really feel about it. But just retweeting Donald Trump without a quote. You can quote tweet. I don't believe that shit. Everybody like, oh, retweets are, are endorsements. Okay. Okay. Sure. I don't believe that shit. I, unless you are a journalist that's just retweeting like a, pol a political thing about a topic or a newspaper. You got to put some context for your followers. Okay. Just retweeting shit, just retweet shit. Okay. Bullshit. That's my opinion. I don't even play that retweets or endorsement game. If I feel like, if I'm retweeting a tweet that I find that is, is problematic, I'm going to quote tweet it. I'm going to say something above the tweet for context so that my followers don't think I'm riding with the motherfucker. Just retweeting it, just a retweet, just doesn't make any sense to me. People gotta own their shit. That's all. I just, I just had to get that off my chest. But anywho, there's a lot of good work that's being done. Lots of stories are covering it. And the important thing about journalists and activists when it comes to social media stuff that happens is that articles matter. Because when you Google people and you think they're doing some really, really problematic things, it's important to get press around it because that way other people that might be considering getting scammed or potentially scammed by this person don't. It's so important to do that because... A lot of times, the backdoor rooms, the whispers and gossip means nothing to people. Everybody's getting whispered and gossip about. But if it's a real serious thing, listen, there's petty incidents that might happen. People might have an argument or something. Every, let, let, me, let me just say this, though, because I do want to say this, because people will get this construed. If you got a petty argument or you had a personal bad experience with one person at one time, that's not fucking news unless the person, like, you know robbed you at gunpoint, raped you at a, you know, something like that. Okay. But just like an argument, uh, uh, you know, somebody cursed you out or something that isn't anything that, that isn't, that cannot be dealt with individually, I, I think should be warranted. Um, I mean, you got to do that because there's people that will message me and say, oh, I went to this event and so-and-so had a nasty attitude. That's not a fucking story. Don't fucking waste my time. But if, this person is on video saying the N-word and, and saying some really racist stuff and they and all that, okay, that might and you got you know, that might be something if it's a public if it's something of significance like that. But but just like little stuff, I just some people come to me with petty whiny shit, and I'm like, you don't want these problems. And 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 and, and I'm and you and you know, as journalists, we have to be judicious, and I'm very judicious, despite what people think. I'm I can't tell you 
how much shit I get in my inbox. I say this over and over again. I cannot emphasize that I know too much about people's life. I know about people who've had affairs. I know who they slept with. I didn't see pictures on vacations. People didn't tell me shit about, you know, affairs, uh, scandals, allegations of theft, uh, allegations of, of a person running scams, uh, people getting ripped off, people being abusive. You know, there's just all kinds of things I have been sent and some of that stuff, it's like, look, you didn't take this. This is above me, okay? If, if this person is uh, X, Y, and Z or something, you need to report that crime, okay? Don't don't fucking just, you know, or something. You got to, you know, don't come to me like on some, you know, this person in my neighborhood. Like, that's that's deeper than what I can do because the time is going to take me to fact check and do all that. This person continues to wrong. Like, give me a police report or some type of, uh, some type of information that can validate this um but i sometimes people just do that or they just throw gossip i'm like do you think that's what i do you think that i'm a gossip rag like in my writing like my actual print writing you think i'm just gonna like let you tell me some shit and i can verify that shit and run that shit like it's just good as go fuck out of here i get so no, i get really annoyed with that and there's people that do that i'm looking like you know that karma's a bitch and you know that it could come back and bite you in the ass. And I'm talking about elected officials that like to mudsling dirt about each other. I can't tell you how funny it is to see how these po these po politicians will take pictures with each other, smile with each other, stuff with each other. And I know behind closed doors, there's a whole feud going on. I can't tell you how many, how much bloodshed, backstabbing that I, I have seen. Okay? I just... I could write a book about just the behind the scenes drama, some of this shit, but it's all off the record. Um, but it, it's just, uh, I digress. It's a lot of, it's a lot of crazy shit that I continue to get at the desk of Ernest Owens. A lot, a lot. But I still have to say that when people do have the receipts, when people do come forward, when people do write, right, it makes an impact. And with Darius Cooks, a lot of people have come forward uh, to share stories. You know, journalists are listening, are writing. And when you Google Darius Cooks and you look in the news section, the stories are not just about his nasty food and how good it is or how viral it is. It's now conversations about his business practices that have been over the years and how he has been problematic to so many black women and people in the, in the cooking and culinary industry. And that... My friends, is how you go from complaint to change. Not bad. Not bad at all. Okay. One little thing I want to talk about before I wrap up, because I have these things. I have had these wedding nightmares, but not my wedding nightmares, but I've heard stories. So there's a story that Philly Mac done, right? A good reporter there did a piece about Philly's biggest wedding company slapped with class action law, class action suit over COVID era refunds. So Pay is being accused of fraud. Now their lawyers are saying the whole thing is frivolous, but the whole drama is is that apparently there are people that are talking about how they were getting married, they made deposits, they had their wedding scheduled during the pandemic, and they were dropping like five thousand deposits and shit like that. And pretty much what happened is, is that when the pandemic happened and things, you know, got really went, went south, a lot of these people wanted their $5,000 deposit or deposits back. Some of them wanted to get that money back so they could have a backyard wedding during the pandemic. 
And others just want the money back because they were just like, you know, look, I don't know when this is going to get back to normal, but I can't have the wedding in my dreams. And Sescapade is, is, is glamorous, okay? They have glitzy ceremonies and receptions. You know, they be having like oh, 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 anywhere from 150 minimum to 600 guests, okay? They got six venues all over the town. They got the Waterworks in Fairmark Park. They got the Lucio South Street. They got the Sescapade Ballroom or the Liberties. I mean, they are popular, but they got a class action lawsuit right now. And it's a lot of issues that's going on that people have asked for. So people are telling these stories about some of the issues that they've encountered. And couples are being pissed. Now, the issue is that Sescapay says that there's a no refund policy. Uh, and so they can keep that uh, deposit. But there's also a clause in this language that talks about uh, force de majeure, which it means translation, act of God. Which we all know the pandemic was some level of something that's out of our control. And that that entitles people back to these deposits. Well, Sescapay isn't trying to get that money back. There's some clashing going on. And now people are suing. You know. But they claim that the 5000 deposit wasn't a deposit at all. In spite of the fact that the contract, which Philly Mac did review, uh, they literally called it a deposit. So... It, it's just like people have been pushed through the cycle. People keep trying to recycle. All I got to say is, damn. And the next thing I got to say is, thank goodness we didn't do that. I will tell you, Mr. Johnson was thinking about Waterworks at one point. I think, yeah, Mr. Johnson was thinking about a lot of venues, actually. I think I think Waterworks was one of our venues we thought about. The venue we have now is perfect. Won't disclose that venue at this moment. But it was perfect. It's perfect. And I'm happy to be there. But... When I read this, I was just shook. Other things I'm being shook about. So I've been watching Love and Hip Hop, the new season, Atlanta. Second episode just came out. It's juicy, y'all. Erica Mena now is talking about how she's pregnant with Safari's baby. Uh, the second baby, okay? And their relationship is just not really good. But one of the things that has been annoying me, or annoying me this with this season, and it's not necessarily the this, this season, just the people. But like Yandy is on here. Yandy Smith Harris, who's Mandisi's, her husband's name is Mandisi's. They've been on the show. They've been in New York. It was a New York show, but now she's moved to Atlanta. And now she's, you know, being all buddy buddy with Tamika Mallory, Linda Sassoir, which is until freedom nonsense. Well, this activism group, or as some people consider a grift. But pretty much they were out in Kentucky for Breonna Taylor. And one of the things that just, I don't know, I am becoming more uncomfortable with this whole dynamic because with Yandy, I just feel like this is why you don't make celebrities with TV shows. So the show has been following her and she's basically using her quote unquote activism as a storyline for this fucking show. This is what I mean by exploiting the movement. So basically you're getting paid to do this show, spend your energy fixated on your quote-unquote activism to promote this organization to get money for it but at the same time you're trying to act like you know this is your life but you found a, it's a grift because the reality is is that okay yandy needed a storyline because her storyline on love and hip-hop was getting fucking dry anybody who watched the show will agree with me and if you agree with me comment me in the dms on instagram let's talk about it right Yandy's storyline was getting real dry. The back and forth between Mandisi's and his baby mamas, because he's got two, including one that he had while they were with her, okay? Because I know Miss Girl, uh, I think her name was Erica. She ain't got a reason to lie. The baby mama was out here. She's cute. Both of them was cute. But he had a break. They called it a break baby. But they try to act like he had a relationship. But the girl said that he bought her a car right after she announced that she was 
the day after he proposed or whatever, he, he or she was pregnant, he came out and bought the girl an Audi with a bow on it, apparently. I watched the show. I'm engrossed in it. If, if it's not your show, listen, it's still in It's still ruined news. Oh, um, but anywho, Yandy has, her storyline was dropped because it, it, she's, she's, first of all, she's, she's a habitual liar because let's back this all the fuck up. Mandy sees her husband go, has been incarcerated and, and things, been in jail, did a crime, served his time. So the whole time she was stuck raising her kids and that was tough, right? She was doing what needs to be done as a mother and, you know, made, made a lot of sense. Get all that. No complaints from me there. Um, what's happened in that dynamic since the situation, okay, let's be very clear. Since that situation, you know, she has, um, what does she do? She She's in a place now where she's focused on that. She's trying to, uh, I guess, patch up this relationship uh, with her husband, they've been doing like they did the marriage boot camp show, all this stuff. And we're gonna, yeah, she did that marriage boot camp. They're trying to work it out, co parenting, the baby mamas. Like that was her, her whole storyline. Now that's over. It's about her and Mandeces. But Mandeces, it seems like he doesn't really want to be on reality TV. He seems like he's bored. He's he's cute, but he's, he's bored. He looks bored on the show. I don't think he is like, he's just on it. He just doesn't like, I don't think he really likes the spotlight. And the cameras and all that. He just seems like he's a man who literally got out of jail, right? Prison, actually. And he's, I feel like he's in the mindset of, I just want to spend time with my kids. I just want to, like, focus on my marriage. Because they, they need to do that, to be honest. But she's so fixated on trying to maintain this celebrity um, presence. And I think that's going to cause issues for them. But they had got married, and it was one of those marriage Big old wedding, one of those like reality show wedding type of things. But we find out later on in the season or whatever, in the, in the next seasons, that they actually were not legally married. That they had a, in the eyes of the law, they're not fucking married. That's not her husband in real life. They, I don't know if they, I think they're getting legally married now. I don't remember. I think this season they're trying to really actually get for real, for real married. But at the time, she told us she had to secure the bag. What you saying? So you're saying that restitution or whatever was going to come out, child was going to come out of her shit because she was married to him? Because you married this man and so you can't even legally marry him and take on his debt because you know you weren't about securing your bag? Is that what you're saying? So they got married, but they didn't get legally married. And like she just, a lot of people, like she deceived people and believe that. So she's, she's always been with the bullshit. Um, and she just lies on the show in ways that I'm just like, Yandy's always lying. So this whole decision to become this activist all of a sudden just seems like that's most of the storyline. And it's also, I think, VH1's or maybe Mona Scott Young's way of trying to sanitize the show because it's always been criticized for being nothing but a bunch of cat fights and arguments and, and, and shit, right? And so I think they're trying to, you know, you know, look like they're aware that the world does not revolve around their third world issues. So there's been a lot of talk about the pandemic, which I can appreciate in the businesses and all that. But I just find it disingenuous how they're going about this whole social justice angle. Cause I just like Tamika Mallory is, is like, come on. Right. Like this is the best y'all can fucking do. And then Yandy, I just feel like this is, I mean, again, I just think I'm not saying these issues are not personal to her, but I just feel like it's just very convenient. And I think that in many ways, there's just too much money flowing through them in a way. She's on the board of until freedom. She's, 
I guess Tamika and them are getting some push, right? They're getting a kickback from the promotion of this on the show. They were already on uh they were already on the the marriage boot camp episode uh that the the little couples retreat show that they did. She was on that talking about it. It's like they're acting like the model is, oh, we're here to promote this. But that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And I think a lot of it is there's always just going to be a need to like find ways to do it. Like they want to incorporate the hip hop community, celebrity culture, talk about use your voice, use your platform, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it's also the sense of what, what are y'all doing on the ground outside of the reality TV show nonsense? Because I don't really find it to be that effective in my way across the board. I feel like, yes, Brianna's mother's for it for her. And I think that's good. But I just, at the end of the day, have said I have concerns with Tamika Mallory, how she moves. Listen to a previous episode where I talked about this in full depth. I just feel like, once again, we're seeing this type of shit impede upon the culture. And now it's happening in my beloved show, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta. And I'm just like, ugh. But other than that, the show's been great. David Makes Man continues to be fabulous. I love that show as well. And I've been really, like I said, the encore on BT. that's the only show I watch on BT because I'm not watching Tyler Perry shit. I'm definitely not watching anything about Lena Waithe. But this show, The Encore, with this girl group, is good. I mean, it's my little guilty pleasure. So I say all this to say, this week was my first week on the board for the Academy of Television, the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, the Mid-Atlantic chapter, the Emmys, right? And the day we had our meeting, our first meeting, um, as, as a new board member, I do on the board of governors, I'm on the board of governors, as a governor, um... The Emmy nominations came out this week, and I am super excited. Oh, my God. Can I just say that normally I complain about nominations? You know that. I, I complain. I get mad. I get mad about nominations like the Oscars. Uh, I'll get mad about the Golden Globes. You know, I get mad about some of the nominations. This is the first ever Emmys where I don't really have anything to complain about. I love them. They killed it. And not just on the diversity front. See, it'd be easy to say there was like 38 black actors, I believe, 38, 36, 38, I think 38, 36 black actors were nominated this year. Nominated this year across all the categories. We're in all of the categories. I loved it. Okay, Kiki Palmer, first time nominee. Okay, she's got an Emmy nomination now. And y'all keep sleeping on Kiki Palmer. Kiki has her moments, but Kiki is Kiki has been consistent. Okay, shout out to Kiki Palmer. Okay. Just love her. I met her in person. I've 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 interviewed her a couple of times. I've gotten a chance to see her. She's a fabulous woman. Um I don't know where to start. I'll, I'll just start from the top. Lovecraft Country is no more. The show that B, uh, HBO was not renewing it. But they got like 18 nominations. Journey Smollett got nominated for Best Actress. Jonathan Majors got nominated for Best Actor. And then, you know, Michael K. Williams, who's always like an Emmy's favorite, he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And then Anjanae Ellis um, got Nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Like, that show got nominated for Best TV Drama. It killed it. And I kept saying, they, they should... And Courtney B. Vance got nominated for Best Guest Actor. It was killer. 
I'm everybody. All the all the acting, the major acting principals got nominated, and the show got nominated. I was so happy for Lovecraft Country. It it, it definitely was a moment when it came. When, it, when it, y'all remember when it came out that summer, last summer, it was a moment, and I'm happy it got nominated. I, I don't know what it would win, but just the fact that they had their one season and they came and they killed it. I'm just super happy for them. Um, Pose. Oh my god! First of all, nominated again for best drama. Billy Porter, nominated for Best Actor, which I keep telling you, I don't know. He might win this year. And then MJ Rodriguez, nominated for Best Actress, which I was, like, so happy for. The campaign, I've been talking about Pose throughout this this podcast, but I felt like this season was, like, they, it ended on a, I was happy. I was, it was bittersweet that it ended, but they brought it. It was, like, six episodes or whatever. It was short, but they brought it. I mean, that finale... Yeah. Yeah, I was happy. She's the first uh, trans actor, male or female. She's a trans woman, but she's the first ever trans actor um, to be nominated in a major category. And so she, you know, like they're, they're like period. Like in a major category. There's there's no one else. Laverne Cox was always being nominated for um, for best um you know, she, she was always nominated in the categories for guest actor roles, you know. Um, yeah, but, but MJ Rodriguez is nominated for Outstanding Actress in a Lead Role for Pose. Um, and it's just sad because I just wondered to myself, what would Pose look like if they had another season? Like, they're getting their roles. But it's a great way to end the show that this happened, this historic moment happened. Because it still remains, Pose still remains the show with the most transgender actors in principal roles. Like, they have a mostly, I mean, they have a huge trans cast. I mean, everybody on that show is bringing Dominique, I would have loved her. My, my one little thing is that she got, you know, I would have loved her to be not best supporting actress because I thought she brought it this season as Electra. I would have loved to see that happen. I, I would I would have liked to see her nominated. Um, but, you know, I, I get it. It was it was a very competitive year. All the supporting actress categories are, are competitive this year. Mayor of Town, I knew it was going to get nominated. Everybody got nominated. Um... You know, everybody, every Zayer got, you know, everybody got nominated. Kate Winslet, who's in a tough race, but I, I listen. Mayor East Town, I was happy. I, we knew she was going to get nominated. Her mother did, and the betraying friend on the show, both of them got nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Jean Smart got nominated for two categories. Jean, I knew Jean Smart was going to take over the Emmys. I knew it. She's nominated for Best Actress in the Comedy for Hacks. And then also for her role in Mary East Town, which is both on HBO. Look, HBO Max is killing the game. Um, other major things. Oh, Kenan Thompson, who is just killing the game. He's nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy for his show Kenan. And then Supporting Actor for Saturday Night Live in the comedy category. Listen, long time. Okay, he's one of SNL's longest running like acts. And... I'm just happy he's getting his praise because for a long time he, you know, I, I feel like he's getting some more love now, but he's underrated. This man has been consistently in comedy and doing it for a minute. Um, I remember Good Burger and all that. And he's just, he's just been, I don't, he's an interesting, he's just interesting. He's just has had a long comedy career. And we just always don't talk about the brilliance of Kenan Thompson. Um, other cool things. So the lead actor category for drama has four black actors. Billy Porter, okay, Jean from um, Mr. Bridgerton, 
Uh, he's the only acting actor who got nominated. Um, Mike, well, yeah, uh, Michael. Um, I want to make sure I get him. I get all my Michaels confused, but um, he's from This Is Us, and I want to make sure I, I uh, get my person right. So, so Sterling K. Brown. I always was about to say Michael Brown, but no, Sterling K. Brown um, is nominated for Best Actor for This Is Us. Um, Billy Porter, Jonathan Majors, and then um, Jean Rene, uh, Jean Rene uh, from Bridgerton. Four, four, four black actors nominated. And there's three black women nominated in the lead actress category, in the drama category. And that's MJ Rodriguez, that's um, Uzo, who is in In Treatment, and Journey Smollett, who is also Jesse Smollett's um, older sister. So it's, 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 it's a lot going on in the categories. I'm excited. Uh, I'm thinking about other shows. I, there's just a lot of love. Pose got love. I was never really, I was never that into Bridgerton, to be honest, but I know people like it. Um, I'm just happy that a lot of other shows out the way. Game of Thrones is out the way. Secession's new seasons are coming out. I think Secession's a good show, but I'm happy that's out the way. Um, you know, How to Get Away Murder is going now, even though we're we, we going to always love that show. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people are not, a lot of shows, Veep is out the way. So there's an opportunity for a lot of um, people. Uh, and, and I think the pandemic also uh, helped out a little bit. Um, anyway, like the pandemic slowed down a lot of shows um, from coming back. So now we can look at what's happening now, if that makes sense. Uh, which is good, you know, in a way. What else is going on? I don't know who I want to win. I, I would like to see Pose. But you know, I don't think the industry. I don't know. Academy doesn't see. I don't know. They'll, they may. They may go soft. They may just give us all these nominations only for it to be a whiteout. Cause that happens too. Like you, you see the you you'll see the um, the the show. You'll see the you see all these diverse winners, right? But then what happens is is that none of it really like ends up leading to a win. So for example. Like outstanding drama series is The Boys, which I, you know, I guess is a show. Bridgerton, The Crown, The Mandalorian. Oh, The Crown. So The Crown, low key, look, look got all the Emmy nominations. Okay, the 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 crowd, the Crown got all the Emmy nominations. And low key, I think The Crown might win. The Crown has not won, but I can have a funny feeling that The Crown is going to win. So the the shows is The Boys, Bridgerton, The Crown, The Mandalorian. Uh, uh, yeah, Lovecraft Country, Pose, Handsmaid's Tale, This Is Us. I feel like The Crown's gonna win. That's just early predictions. Outstanding comedy series is Blackish, Cobra Kai, Pen 15, which was a shocker, Emily in Paris, what the fuck, Hacks, Ted Lasso, hmm, The Flight Attendant, hmm, The Kaminsky Method. I, if I was a betting man, I would bet that, hmm, I see Ted Lasso winning, but I wouldn't sleep on Hacks. Hacks might win, 
But Ted Lasso, I think, is going to win. Um, outstandingly acting drama series is Red J. Oh, it's Reggie John. Reggie, Renee, John Page. I cannot pronounce his name. Bridgerton, Stone and Kate Brown, This Is Us, Billy Porter Pose, Jonathan Majors, Lovecraft Country, Matthew Rise, Perry Mason, Josh O'Connor, The Crown. So there's only two white actors in this category. If I was a betting man, two things are going to happen. Either Billy Porter is going to win or Josh O'Connor is going to win. But there might be that shocker, Renee. But I don't think people really think he can act. I mean, I think people like him in the show, but I don't know if it's enough for him to win this award because he's not going to be in the show that long. He was only for one season. I'm just putting out early predictors. Outstanding actress in a drama series, Emma Corrin, The Crown, Olivia Coleman, The Crown, Uzo uh, Abduba, In Treatment, Elizabeth Moss, The Handsmaid's Tale, Journey Smollett, Lovecraft Country, MJ Rodriguez Post. This is a tough race. This could get chopped multiple fucking ways. If I was a betting man, okay, because that's what I'm saying with Best Actor, I can see Billy Porter getting it, like surprising everybody. But if I was safe betting, I would say Josh O'Connor for The Crown. I just feel like white people are going to skew that way. But they have shocked us. So it could go to Billy Porter. Um, you just never know. As far as outstanding lead actress goes, this could go multiple ways too. They love Uzo. Uzo always wins a lot of these, these, these damn awards. She could easily surprise everybody and win, but I feel like because in treatment to get a lot of love across the board, it's going to be harder for her. There is a lot of buzz around MJ Rodriguez. This reminds me of Zendaya last year with Euphoria. She could probably, because of a lot of the, I mean, the fact that she even got to the point to get nominated, she might surprise everybody and win that night. And it might be a historical win, and that might be where they put it in. And then she could be like the third black actress to win the damn award, first trans actress to ever win, trans actor, period, to ever win. Um, I see it going for MJ. But it, to be safe, don't be surprised if Emma Corrin plays the crown because she played Princess Diana. And everyone loves Princess Diana. So that might look like it'd be good for her. Outstanding supporter actor in a, in a drama series, Michael K. Williams, Lovecraft Country, Bradley Whitford, The Handmaid's Tale, Max Minghella for The Handmaid's Tale, OJ, I'll be OT Fagbini for The Handmaid's Tale, John Lithgow for Perry Mason, Tobias Menzies for The Crown, Giancarlo Esposito for The Mandalorian, and Chris Sullivan and stuff. That's too many fucking people nominated. That's eight people. I don't know. I don't know. It's too many hands made people in here. Michael K. Williams might sneak up and surprise everybody and win for Lovecraft Country. Or even uh, Giancarlo Esposito. I could see him surprising people too. Uh, you know, the crowd might get it just on default, but I don't feel like Tobias Menzies did anything um, spectacular, uh, to be honest. I mean, he's not bad, but he's not anything that I felt like was like, oh my God, he's got a win kind of thing. But I just feel like some people might just sleep on this and just put the crown. But Michael K. Williams might pull a surprise. Uh, we'll see. Outstanding supporting actress in the drama series. It's uh, Julian Anderson, The Crown. Helen Bohem Carter, The Crown. And Doll, The Handsmaid's Tale. Yvonne, The Handsmaid's Tale. The Handsmaid's Tale. The Handsmaid's Tale. It's like fucking four people nominated for The Handsmaid's Tale. And then it's uh, Anjane Ellis for Lovecraft Country. I think if I was a betting man, it's going to be Jillian Anderson for playing Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. But again, Andre Ellis might get it because those Crown nominations might... It's like nothing but the hands of tell in The Crown. But she might get it for Lovecraft Country. She might slide up in there and, and snatch it. Because Lovecraft... I mean, I mean, I just really could see her pulling it off. I could see either Jillian Anderson for The Crown because, again, she, um, you know, played the hell out of Margaret Thatcher. But again, Andre Ellis for Lovecraft Country might surprise everybody. 
Outstanding lead actor in a comedy series. Kenan Thompson for Kenan, Michael K, William K, H Macy for Shameless. Is that just like the default seat? Like, it's, I mean, until this show ends, like he's always been nominated. He never wins. Michael Douglas, the the Kaminsky method, same thing. Anthony Anderson, Blackish, always. And then Jason Sudisky for uh, Ted Lasso. I think Jason's going to get it for Ted Lasso. I could be wrong, but I just think it's going to go to him. Ted Lasso's a fun show. Outstanding lead actress in a comedy series, Andy Bryant Shrill. Gene Smart Hacks, Allison Janie Mom, uh, Kaylee Kuko, uh, The Flight Attendant, and Tracy Ellis Walls, Blackish. Mm, don't know. I would be a betting man to say Gene Smart for Hacks. She's got the popularity going for her. But don't sleep on Tracy Ellis Ross. That's all. Uh, outstanding supporting actor in the comedy series Bowen Yang, Saturday Night Live, Kenan Thompson, Saturday Night Live. Brett Goldstein, Ted Lasso, Brendan Hunt, Ted Lasso, Nick Muhammad, Ted Lasso, Jeremy Swift, Ted, fucking four nominations for Ted Lasso. Okay. Paul, Paul Reisner, Kaniski Method, Carl Kimmins, Copkins, Hacks. I don't know. But I would say Bowen Yang might pull a surprise because he's one of the first Asian actors to be nominated in a major category. And he's also one of the first non-principal SNL people, like a feat, like non- He's a feature performer who's not the, a non-feature performer that got a nomination for SNL. So he might make history. He's also Asian. He's also gay. I feel like a lot of these are working in his favor. And he's just something different in the category. But Kenya Thompson winning for Santa Life would be well-deserved if he doesn't win the lead category. All right. I send a supporting actress in the comedy series. Kate McKinnon, Saturday Night Live. Celie Strong, Saturday Night Live. Eddie Brown, Saturday Night Live. Rosie Perez, the flight attendant. Go ahead, Rosie Perez. Uh, Hannah Embender Hacks. Hannah Waddington, Ted Lasso, Juno Temple, Ted Lasso. God damn it, Ted Lasso. All these damn nominations. Everybody that good? Um, I don't know. Kate McKinnon could win it again easily. But I think Rosie Perez is quite interesting too. She's, you know, people like Rosie Perez, okay? People sleep on Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez, okay, did y'all know is an Oscar-nominated actress? Okay, back in the 90s, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Okay? And she killed it. And she's, 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 people sleep on her. She was in a film, Fearless, that came out in 1993. And she was also in, you know, Do the Right Thing. Okay, remember that? She was a fly girl. Um, White Man Can't Jump. She was in that. You know, she's had some good moments. And then she also was on The View for a little bit of time in the 18th season. But, like, people sleep on Rosie Perez. She might surprise everybody. But Kate McKinnon, I could see her winning. Okay, these are quick. Outstanding Limited Series, Mayor of Easttown, I May Destroy You, WandaVision, The Queen's Gambit, The Underground Railroad. I don't fucking know who's going to win that. Everything in that category is good. It could be The Queen's Gambit because people really love that fucking show. But Mayor of Easttown was phenomenal. And I May Destroy You destroyed me. I don't know. I don't know. That's a hard one. I don't want to be a betting man on that one. Outstanding Television Series was Uncle Frank, Sylvie's Love, Oslo. Uh, Robin Robin Roberts presents Mahila, uh, Mah- Mahalia, uh, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. I don't know. But Sylvie's Love is cute. I can see Sylvie's Love getting it, but you just never know. And I'll say Oslo, though. Uh, Outstanding lead actor in the limited series, uh, Hugh Grant, The Undoing, Paul Bettany, WandaVision, Ewan McGuire, Halston, Leslie Odom Jr., Hamilton, Lynn Manuel, Man- Miranda Hamilton. Oh, ooh, ooh, I don't know. That's I don't know one too, y'all. 
I, I, I don't know. I don't. First of all, I don't know why Hamilton's in this category, but Disney Plus is sneaky because they're trying to push Hamilton off as like this new thing. I don't know. They're trying to push Hamilton off a certain kind of way. Meh. Crazy about it. I did outstanding lead actress in a limited series. K. I don't know who's going to win that category. I don't know. Maybe Ian McGregor for Halston. That was a really good show. I could see him pulling it off. Outstanding lead actress in a series in a movie. Kate Winslet, Mayor of Easttown. Uh, Michaelia Cole, I May Destroy You. Anya Taylor-Joy, The Queen's Gambit. Elizabeth Olsen, WandaVision. And Cynthia Revo, Genius Aretha. I don't know. I don't know. I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, Anna Taylor Joy and the Queen's Gambit has been very popular. There's been a lot of people that have wanted Michaela Mika- Cole to get an Emmy nomination because she's been snubbed in every category. She might surprise everybody. But I think Kate Winslet's performance is more current and more fresh right now. I could see Kate Winslet snatching another Emmy, but I wouldn't be surprised if Anna Taylor Joy gets it because she's been getting everything under the fucking sun lately and uh, but Mikey Alec Cole for I've been sure people really like it I don't know if they like it enough to give her the win though I don't know I don't see Elizabeth Olsen which is also yes she is sisters with Mary Kay and Ashley Olsen she's one of the sisters and she's got her own reputation now and then Cynthia Reville but that's enough for my predictions I mean there's so many other categories but like those are the main ones that I care about that I think people should care about and I'm excited. So that's all. Hope you all have a good time. Can't wait to update you all next week about the wedding shower and the bachelor party, all the surprise that will go down. You know, it, it's it's just so much to do. I have so much to do this week. I got to get a facial. You know, I got to get my, you know, got to get cute and everything for this week. And uh, love you all and uh, take care of your best. Earnestly Speaking is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. To stay up to date with the latest on the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Ernest Owens. Use the hashtag Ernestly Speaking to tell me what you thought about this episode and check out my website at ErnestOwens.com.